Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hello, this is Zack Sabre Jr., New Japan Cup winner 2018. And you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style with my mates. Enjoy. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Burial the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chill and let them have it because this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get-go boy yeah from tampa bay to the tokyo dome this is keeping it strong style with your host jeremy donovan and the young boy joshua smith and thank you for listening welcome to keeping it strong style the ace of podcast on the social suplex podcast network jeremy donovan here with the young boy josh smith on today's show, we'll review the semifinals and finals of the 2022 New Japan Cup and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com. With features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. Um, this is the first time in since uh, the monumentous purchase of my microphone for this show that we are looking at one another while we do the show. Yeah, you busted out the uh, the laptop. Well, you know, they give me one from work. You know, I I don't know. I guess I could get in trouble for this. I don't know. I, I don't know the rules. Like, I I guess it's better to just, like, uh, you know, um, ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. But uh, <laughs> I, I do have a work laptop. I've never used it. What the deal was, I thought that I wouldn't be able to um, download software like Google Meets. I didn't realize you could just do it off the internet. You don't even have to download an app or anything when it's on a computer. Right, yeah. This shows you how to, like, untech savvy I actually <laughs> So, like, this whole time we could have literally been using this, like, you know. And one thing that people don't know is, like, every, I, the way we were running it was, like, um, the microphone has to, like, 
plug into either a USB or it had these like little jacks that you could plug into either, um, you know, like a USB-C or like the, uh, the old like Apple, um, you know, outlet before they, before they switched to USB-C or whatever. And, um, but the problem is, is like when you're running off of a device like that and you're plugged into the power outlet, it's also draining the power from the device simultaneously. So like, um, I couldn't like have the camera pointing at me. I actually had to like use like one of those, uh, wireless charger gimmicks. And then sometimes like that would like fuck up the audio of the show. And then like, we'd be scrambling and I'm sure you're editing to all hours of the night, but this whole time I could have just been using this, this laptop. It's just been sitting here for you know <laughs> years now. Well, glad we got that working. Yeah. You sound way better on my end and I think it'll be a better quality overall for listeners. So. Yeah, well, I mean, that's really who I'm doing it for. If it was for you, I wouldn't even bother, okay? <laughs> this is for, you know, all those listening. Yes. All, all those that, that, that what is uh, what Stone Cold used to say? Uh, the working man? Yeah. <laughs> for the working man. You know, take a swig of water, swig of beer for the, for the working man. Paying yeah, those gimmicks called bills that come in the yeah. mail. <laughs> I, that's what I was gonna say next. I was like those gimmicks called bills, they never stop coming. <laughs> oh man. But uh oh, man. young boy Speaking of Stone Cold this weekend, bro. Yeah, WrestleMania weekend, the, the Texas Rattlesnake, you know, big main event uh talk show segment t- to close off WrestleMania. Former G one participant, stunning Steve Austin, making his return to you know, the squared circle, Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Jeremy's got front row tickets. Uh, I don't know all about that. Um, I mean, I, I will be in Dallas WrestleMania weekend. I will not be going to any of uh, Vince McMahon's uh, sports entertainment. Uh, <laughs> Are you going to watch it? Uh, probably, because um, I am going to be uh, staying with Floyd. Shout out to Floyd, a uh, host of All Things Elite, and his buddy uh, JR, who's been on the show on All Things Elite uh, last couple of weeks and kind of fills in whenever Austin can't make it. I'll be staying with them, but those guys, they are going to WrestleMania both nights. Um, and the why don't, why don't you do Suplex Mania by yourself? <laughs> Post the Suplex Mania party, like get up the promotional material. You got a few days to get this and in, in, make some calls, find a Hooters out there, see if they got a, a manager who's a mark who will let us, uh, well, I mean, let you host the WrestleMania watch party and uh, do live podcast. We did it before. I don't see why you couldn't do it again. Yeah, we it will Osprey to show up. <laughs> Jay White and all those guys. Well, I think Osprey might still be in Japan, but yeah, there we'll talk about WrestleCon a little bit later. But yeah, several of New Japan guys will be there. It'll be a part of WrestleCon. Obviously, the Lone Star Shootout, and they'll be doing meet and greets. Rocky, uh, bro, he'll bring Ishii and Suzuki. You'll be fine, dude. <laughs> well, Actually, you know what you should do. You should hit up Rocky and just be like, yo, I'm here alone. What are you guys doing for WrestleMania? And I bet you he'd let you come chill. Yeah, maybe Yeah, maybe I will do that. <laughs> you really happens. should hit him up and just be like, yo, where are you guys watching Mania? <laughs> He's like, I'm up in the nosebleeds, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, but before we uh, jump into New Japan, Josh, I got to ask you a very important question. Okay. Will Smith, Chris Rock, was it a work or was it a shoot? Oh, man. Okay. Um, my opinion, I believe this was 100% a shoot. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I saw some pretty, um, you know me, I, I like to dabble in conspiracy theories now and then. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> I, now these, these are not the thoughts and opinions of the young boy, Joshua Smith. So don't come at me. This is stuff I'm hearing on TikTok. Okay. There are those individuals out there that believe that um, Jada Pinkett Smith does not have alopecia at all. <laughs> and that, um, you know, she's just like basically shaving her head down. And then they were talking about how Pfizer was the official like sponsor for um, for the Grammys. And they're unveiling a new alopecia drug like right now, basically. And what's like one of the number like one googled and searched and trending like topics in all of the world especially in the u.s right now it's alopecia because of the incident with chris rock and uh and uh will smith so they're saying could it be that the whole thing is staged to try and basically do like a viral marketing ad for pfizer's alopecia medication i I could probably poke some holes in that but there are people who think that who taking it this deep they think that the work goes that deep well, wow, that I didn't is, even know we were going to talk about this. That 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 is a uh, pretty uh, elaborate work, if that that is the case. But uh, the best works are, <laughs> I mean, i.e., Montreal Screwjob. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't think this is a Montreal uh, Screwjob situation. Like you, though, I, I do think this was a, a shoot. Uh, we had a couple uh, comments here. Uh, Ghost of Doc Gonzo from Reddit says, "Calling it right now, Will Smith wins the G one." If this is Okada in the Dome on January 4th, because it wouldn't be the 50th anniversary of New Japan without at least one Enochiism. And a wine punch VV says, it's Will Smith G1 bound after embracing Enochiism. What are your favorite Enoki slaps? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, my favorite Enoki slap is when he slapped uh, the shit out of um, the great Antonio and, like, you know, beat the shit out of that man for real, like, in a shoot. That was another shoot incident. And, uh, you know, the, the slaps that Anoki hit Gray Antonio with were much more powerful than Will Smith's, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> uh, for me, I just like whenever, you know, wrestlers have to line up in the ring. Yeah. Anoki just bow. <laughs> That's one after another. That There's that one really famous one from, I think it's like Pride or Pride Shockwave. So it's all the wrestlers, but then it's all the MMA fighters and all the, like, kickboxers. And they're all, like, having to sell for it. <laughs> um. There's also a really famous photo, well, not famous, but I saw a photo of, I don't even know where this came from, but it's Anoki and Will Smith uh, in a dojo ring, probably out in LA at some point, and they're both doing the, like, New Japan chant together, and I'm like, you know, uh, long-form storytelling, basically. (laughs) This man, Will Smith, has been in Anoki the whole time. But, you know, at first, they do bits and stuff like that. I wasn't watching the Grammys, but when I first saw it, and I saw him walking up, and Chris Rock's like, oh, boy, here we go. And then he slaps him. I did think it was a skit. I thought that there was going to be a punchline. I did not think that. And then he's like, oh, Smith just slapped the shit out of me. And then, I, and then I was like, well, maybe it wasn't a skit, but maybe they were just joking together. Because I was like, the, the, the slap didn't look real to me. Then when he's like, keep my wife's name. <laughs> so, oh, no. <laughs> like, what is going on, bro? And I was like, oh, shit. And then I rewatched the slap like five times. And I was like, wait, I think he, I think he open hand slapped him, you know? Yeah. Like, when like for real. So I don't know. When keeping it real goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. 
I've heard every take under the sun, every single angle. And you know what? I think they're all right. <laughs> I think every single angle that every single person has on every level is is accurate. You know, they're, what's they're a, what's that show that impacts doing WrestleMania weekend? The multiverse of matches. The multiverse of Chris Rock and uh and Will Smith at the Grammys. You know. <laughs> they're all right. I see I see every angle and I agree with every single one of them on every level. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well let's jump. Nobody in. can ride a fence like me. <laughs> uh, let's jump into New Japan. Got a lot of stuff to talk about here tonight. Uh, oh, Jeremy, don't forget if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything, okay? Mm. <laughs> 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 well, uh, let's stand and talk about this uh, New Japan Cup uh, semifinals. We had the semifinals on Saturday. March 26th, so we can uh, run through this the undercard here and then probably focus the majority of our time on the actual semi-final matches. Obviously, there are some story developments coming out of some of these undercard matches. Um, so, Night 14, March 26th, opened up with the Bullet Club team of Bad Luck Fale, Chase Owens, El Fantasmo, Gato, and Taiji Ishimori defeating the Gorillas of Destiny, Tamatanga, Tangaloa, 6 or 9, Wato and Gucci, and Hoshi Tanahashi, who were all accompanied by Jado. They won by disqualification, nine minutes and eight seconds, uh, pretty much coming down to the end of the match. Gato had the the brass knuckles. Jado wasn't going to let it slide. Jado runs in, um, starts attacking Gato. Ref sees the interference and calls for the DQ. Yeah, you know, in a way, this was done kind of well. Um I know we complain a lot about a lot of the shenanigans and, you know, all the bullshitism and, you know, togoism that's been taking place in this company. But we've always said that there's a time and a place where this sort of thing is appropriate. And in the middle of this kind of feud with this kind of heat where, you know, things are just kind of going haywire between G.O.D. and Hontai versus the Bullet Club and all the like... Uh, bullshit that they've kind of had to suffer under house torture and bullet club you know the fact that they're starting to kind of give them back a taste of their own medicine and try to get comeuppance on them it's kind of working for me the other thing i liked about it was that there was so much chaos occurring in the ring at that time that when um giotto ran in it completely escaped my mind that he wasn't even a legal member of the match. So I just thought it was another guy getting his shit in. And then, and then the bell rang and then I was like, Oh fuck. Like he's not even in the match. Like, you know, but he couldn't stand idly by and let the bad guys do to his boys what they were doing. So he kind of had to take matters into his own hands. And I don't know, for whatever reason, this kind of worked for me. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say like, you missed it. You need to go out of your way and watch it. But I think the crowd is really into this bullet club. Uh, G.O.D. Uh, storyline and you know considering how 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 many beatdowns they've given to G.O.D. and and uh, job over the tour like made sense to me you know man man had it he's up to here with it you know <laughs> yeah uh, like you I I also too at the watch at that point of the match had forgot that Jado was not legal because you know like you mentioned on, on the whole tour Jado's actually been in the tag matches and been eating a lot of the falls and been, you know, getting jumped um, throughout the match and stuff like that. So I thought, oh, yeah, Giles in the match. They called for DQ. I was like, oh, yeah, just kind of like you. Like, oh, yeah, he's not in it. And I agree. You know, a lot of times we do see the heels 
blatantly cheating, the ref's distracted, and there will be a second or a manager out there and just kind of standing there, like, scratching their head, like, what do I do? And so, yeah, it's kind of cool that you do have, finally, you know, Bayface guys, like, you know, I don't care if we get DQ, like, this guy's cheating, and I'm going to try and put a stop to it. Yeah. Um, on the uh, commentary, too, you know, it was a really big deal to see 6 or 9 and G.O.D. along with Jado, and then Tanahashi all come out together, all come out to the same music. And then uh, Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton did a really great job of commentary, kind of just explaining the significance. Like, if you recall the whole genesis of the Bullet Club at Dantaku all those years ago, involved the feud that was going on between uh prince devitt and hiroshi tanahashi and one of those foundational formational members was tangle or tamatanga so the fact that now we stand all these years later literally what i don't even know was that 2013 when that started so almost a decade later mm-hmm. that you know tamatanga and Hiroshi Tanahashi stand united against the Bullet Club. I know that it's not the same Bullet Club that we've come to know over all these years, but even still, I mean, for Tamatonga's, you know, personal storyline, um, that really like speaks volumes and kind of tells you. I think like Tanahashi giving him the stamp of approval is really like a, a stamp of like acceptance, especially for maybe those audience members that were still kind of like on the fence. And at this point. You could go any way with it. If now, I'm not saying they should do this because I'm not a big fan of it. But if hypothetically they wanted to, uh, like, bring God back into Bull Club and call the whole thing a swerve, it it might work for some people. It'd be like, holy fuck! Like they really got one over on these Hontai fools. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then on the same level, like, um, if they are going full stop with God, which is what I think they're doing, I mean this is kind of what you need to do to kind of rectify this many years of malfeasance from G.O.D. just being like these evildoers and now suddenly like the guy, the ace, Tanahashi, he's like bringing him home. I mean, that's that's it. That's the stamp of approval and now we're off to the races with them as good guys. So, Yeah, and also too, you know, the, the rivalry with uh, Taguchi and Prince Devitt as well, with, you know, Devitt turning on Taguchi and now Tamatanga also, you know, teaming with Taguchi for throwing that. I didn't even thought about that that much, but you know what? That's true too, because that that was like the main dominating storyline of uh, Prince Devitt's, you know, one one and a half year run as the leader of Bull Club. It really came down to uh, that Apollo Gogo shit with him and Taguchi. Right. So yeah, overall, yeah, forgiveness on both sides there, Taguchi and Tanahashi, and just leading to this, you know acceptance and pushing a lot of symbolism there huh yeah you know a lot long-term storytelling yeah i don't think they planned this one out but you know it's (laughs) it's working we're figuring it out you know right uh we did have some questions here uh about uh some of the guys in this match so first from viking pain says if you listen if you ever listen to tama talk about tanahashi on his podcast you can tell he has a lot of respect for the ace but it still doesn't make seeing god tag with him less weird where do you think this BC storyline is heading? Is Tama about to get the biggest singles push of his career in a blood feud with Jay White, or are we about to get Bullet Club Wolfpack out of this? Um, so me personally, I think long term we're still heading towards a evil Jay White split of some sorts. How that plays out, I don't know, but I think that you know that the writing's on the wall. Um, as far as Tamatongan goes, this is the hottest he's ever felt in the whole time he's been in the company for me. So, 
yeah, I mean, whether it's a singles push, whether it's a push for G.O.D. as a tag unit or some combination of the two, yeah, this is a push, uh, much deserved one at this point too, which is great. And yeah, it is a little weird seeing them tag together, but um, you know, we kind of covered that, kind of giving you the breakdown there and kind of explaining why it's taking place this way. And I think as time goes on, it's not going to feel so weird, but I don't think that G.O.D. is trying to still wave the B.C. banner. I don't think we're getting B.C. firing squad or B.C. Tongans or B.C. O.G. None of that. Like, I think that they're just uh, either going to be their own subunit, which is Gorillas of Destiny, or they're going to just go completely amalgamated into Hantai. I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you on on the Bull Club direction. I do think eventually there there is going to come a split with Jay White and Evil. And, you know, this was posted on New Japan's Twitter, so it's not a spoiler. They released the post-match promo from the Strong Style Evolve Tour in Tampa that we were at uh, last week. And, um, you know, Jay did say in his promo that there are still potential changes to Bull Club and there's still some people he might be considering kicking, kicking out. Um, so I do think at some point it is going to come to a head when he eventually gets back to Japan. Um, and we might see how the torture finally kind of break off from Bullet Club. Um, and then I agree with you with, with Tama. I I agree with you. I think this is a hot he's been. You know, we've seen Tama pushes in the past that have not worked out. And, you know, a lot of times we say on the show, like, man, why are they pushing Tama? They start pushing him and it doesn't quite work out. And now it's like, all right, they're pushing him. He's a face, and it's working. He's hot. The crowd is invested. That G1 last year, that Bay Face run in the G1 was great. That match with Okada, beating Okada in the G1 crowd was a big pop when he pulled that upset win. Um, so this, this is working. They're, the crowds are getting behind him. I think it's a very intriguing storyline. Like you, I don't think we're going to get this Bull Club, you know, red and black, Bull Club 2000, you know, Bull Club Silver or whatever. Like, I don't think we're going to get any of that kind of thing. I think it's, yeah, it's just going to be G.O.D. joining Huntai or, yeah, being their own subunit. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Barry Walsh says, hope all is good with both of you and the cake tasting as it sounds good. Do you, did you see Tangaloa in the backstage comments on night 12 or 13 when Tanahashi came to the aid of G.O.D.? It was almost implying he's not on board with the Hantai Alliance. I can see Jado and Tanga going back to Bullet Club with maybe Hikaleo and Tanga being like a G.O.D. 2.0 and Tama being solo. Do you think it's possible and do you think long term this would be a benefit to each of them? Um, You know, that's an interesting idea. Uh, I didn't watch those backstage comments, so I can't speak on that myself. But that would there would be some logic to it because, you know, of all the guys right now, in my opinion, Tama Tonga seems to be the one that's most equipped and ready to kind of break out as a singles guy. Not to say that Tangaloa or Hikaleo couldn't do those things themselves, but I feel like they still need a little bit more like seasoning. And, you know, Hikaleo's sort of out there in the weeds right now. He's kind of one of those odd men out in this situation. And everyone's sort of wondering where he's going to wind up. Like you mentioned, Jeremy, they did do a post-match angle with him and Jay White. During that angle, he was very clear that he is still Bullet Club, but he's not with Jay White. You know what I mean? And Which is very confusing. Right. So I, I think that could be part of why people are wondering about this whole thing. There could be an argument that it might benefit Tangaloa and Hikaleo to become a 
a new version of G.O.D. and to continue on, whether that's as good guys or bad guys, I don't know. And then kind of free up uh, Tamatonga to sort of pursue his own, you know, singles uh, career. The only thing is, I don't see why you couldn't do that with all three of them and maybe even other individuals in a faction together or as a unit. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's probably the best way to go long term for all of them is to combine them, let uh, uh, Tamatonga be the leader of the group, unless there's some more, you know, qualified individual that they want to uh, match up with those guys. I don't, me personally, I don't think they should be Hantai and I don't think they should be Bullet Club. I think we should see the formation of a new unit and kind of bring some new life, new blood to the company, which is something people are always, you know, asking for. Yeah. Um, I think that they could do kind of like what they do with dangerous techers, where there are certain seasons of the year where they're focused on tag team. I'll see like world tag league and stuff, or, you know, some tag talent matches. You can, you can kind of place them in tag situations. Then also come, you know, New Japan Cup, come G1, come some of the bigger shows, you can split Tamatonga off and highlight him in singles matches. And also you need to do multi-man stuff so you can still have, you know, Tanga, Loa, and Hikaleo kind of be the guys he teams with in row two multi-mans and that are building towards his singles match. So I don't think you necessarily need to, to split them apart to push Tama the single. I think agreeing with you, you can, you can push Tama and keep those guys together. Yeah, I agree. I also think like, um, I think it's kind of cool that we're, we have some room to speculate because very, a lot lately with new Japan, there hasn't been a lot of room for this kind of speculation. And if you were doing it, you were doing it very wildly because the company wasn't showing their hand on it pretty much anything. And now there's a little bit of room to be like, well, they're doing something. What it, what is it exactly? We don't know. Maybe that's the best thing, but they, they have a lot of room to grow into this, uh, angle, whatever it's going to be. And, you know, it's one of the, you know, I know it's a kind of a tired trope, but, you know, we always say, let it play out. This is one where I'm kind of excited to see how it plays out. Hopefully it plays out to the benefit of all the guys involved. Cause I'd hate for it to be something where it's like, you know, Tamatong is hot right now. And then by G1 season, he's eating all the pinfalls and then he's just a mid Carter. And, you know, it doesn't really, you know, <laughs> right. It's just one of those early part of the year stories that doesn't lead anywhere, which could happen too. Yeah. Let's move on to the next matchup here. We had the Chaos team of Tomohiro Ishii and Toriyano teaming up with Togi Makabe. They defeated the Suzuki Gun team of Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, and Yoshinobu Kanamaru. Nine minutes and 13 seconds. Seems like we're getting the start of a, some kind of Ishii Suzuki rivalry or a matchup coming up. I mean, I know normally those guys do have beef, but it seemed to be kind of escalated on these two nights of, of a tour here. So there was a big, you know, pull apart brawl of Ishii and Suzuki at the beginning of this match. Uh, kind of going back and forth. Uh, they're also setting up the Yano and Taichi uh, KOBW uh, matchup with this uh, this matchup here as well. Yeah, so this was something where, um, you know, they like you said, they've had a lot of, like, run-ins with one another in the past. And, you know, I've seen so many times where, like, post-match they're going at one another they brawl to the back and they're not involved in any kind of major feud it's just something that's happening so that's kind of what i thought we were seeing through most of the tours like these guys don't have much going on they're just gonna fight with one another it's just kind of like a uh, a mini feud in the midst of their little series on this tour and eventually it's going to end when they move on to whatever it is that they got going on next but it made it very clear on both of these nights 
to amp that up, amp the energy up and really put a lot of focus on it. I think because they're both going to America, we're probably going to see some sort of Suzuki Ishii match in the near future in the States, uh, whether that's, uh, you know, another New Japan show down the line, something maybe a weekend, something in AEW impact. I don't know, but I think it's pretty clear that that's what they're building it to is something in America. It might be on one of the next strong tapings that they haven't announced matches for yet. I don't know. Right, yeah, I mean, Windy City Riot's right around the corner, um, so yeah, there's... A, Could be that. Yeah, so, also, they, they want to pull some big matches, I mean, the show's already sold out, but they, it seems like they're trying to stack that card a little bit, you know, you got Mox and Osprey in the main event, um, so I could see them doing a Suzuki Ishii match up, you know, first time in the U.S. kind of thing, as an additional, kind of specialty for that show. So, yeah. So, uh, moving on to the next matchup, we have the Stronghearts, Shima, L. Lindemann, and T-Hawk. Uh, they defeated the team of Hiroki Goto, Tiger Mask, and Tomioka Hanma. Nine minutes and 26 seconds. Not so much of a story here. I think the main thing is playing off of Shima, defeating Goto in the New Japan Cup, and then obviously commentary, uh, Charlton and Kelly just kind of speculating on whether or not we're going to see strong hearts moving forward. Yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, And I think that um, some of that speculation continues on the remainder of these nights on the show or on the uh, tour, but um, yeah, I mean, they've got, they've got some options with the strong hearts and I hope they keep incorporating them, uh, but we don't know yet. It seems like they're teasing it at the very least. Yeah. Then following that, we had the United Empire team of great Ocon and Jeff Cobb. They defeated the chaos team of yo and Yoshihashi. So kind of like we speculated last week, uh, we're geared up for United Empire, finally challenging for the tag team titles. It's been a long time coming. Uh, you know, obviously, they, they pin Yo here in the match and kind of stake their claim. Jaw Jack and Yoshihashi after the match, staking their claim for a future tag team title shot. Yeah, um, it's been a long time coming. Um, they haven't necessarily built to this uh, match in the sense of where, you know, these guys have been champions and these guys have been going after the title. It's not like that. But for those that have been paying attention over the past year, one of the most successful and um, winningest teams in all of New Japan is the various different combinations of the United Empire. They have never even sniffed uh, title contention at all during that whole period, regardless of the fact that they've been extremely dominant. Now the time is coming where, like, the chickens are coming home to roost and, you know, Bishamon are the champions – and they've got probably their most credible challengers in quite a while, at least since the Dangerous Techers that they took the titles off. So, um, you know, the, I, I am I'm interested in this because, you know, we've seen how they pushed. Uh, which which team are we getting? Is it, It's going to be Cobb and um, Ocon? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the stronger combination of the United Empire guys. So, I mean, we've seen how they pushed Cobb this past year. We've seen how they've elevated uh, Ocon to a lesser degree. And, you know, those guys are kind of streaking right now. So this is a huge challenge for Bishamon's, you know, title reign. Yeah. So looking forward to that rivalry coming up in the next couple of weeks. Then we also had some more United Empire action here this time. Hanare and Osprey teaming up. They defeated the LIJ team of Bushi and Hiromu Takahashi. Uh, before the match, Osprey grabbed the mic, said he this match was not happening. He is still upset about the um, Zack Sabre match of him not tapping out and 
Um, he was not leaving the ring until Saber came out and they can you know run it back. But then Hiromu hit a big drop kick. In the match went on, uh, but uh, towards the end we had the uh, United Empire team picking up the win. Hanare hitting the streets of rage on Bushi. Yeah, um, and I feel like we we skipped over House of Torture against Suzuki Goon earlier on the card. Oh yeah, I totally did skip that. Yeah, we had a third matchup. We had Evil Show and Yujiro. They defeated the team of Doki. Desperado and Takamichi Noku. Also, that match uh, furthering show uh, wanting to challenge Desperado. Yeah, I only thought of that because of the post-match angle of this match with Hiromu and Evil kind of continuing their feud for the Never title, which has kind of been an ongoing thing since their you know last match in the uh, New Japan Cup. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, definitely we're... we're getting geared towards the evil versus Hiromu for the never title and seeing that uh, kind of continue on. And then, cause this was the night where they came out and jumped Hiromu after the match, right? Yeah. After the match at evil, cause Hiromu, they were kind of walking towards out of the losers gate section and yeah, evil uh, jumped him there and Dick Togo uh, choked him out and they uh, walked to the back. Yeah. Um, so then that led into the, Semi-main event, the first uh, semi-final match of the evening. Zack Sabre Jr. defeating the Dragon Shingo Tatagi by referee's decision, 19 minutes and 24 seconds. Yeah, I think um, in recent times, this might be my favorite series of matches in New Japan, at least since the uh, Will Ospreay Shingo series. Yeah. Um, three matches in a pretty short time period, you know, um, since their first match with one another recently in the G1, and then the title match they had after that. Now this match here in the New Japan Cup semifinals, and all three of those matches have been outstanding. Uh, We kind of knew that this match had a high ceiling based on those previous two matches, and it it delivered. Um, I think that this was, if not on the same level, maybe maybe a smidge beneath the Zach and Osprey match that we had earlier, but it might be on the same equal footing, which is kind of crazy considering how much praise that match had. And the whole time I was watching this, the one thing that um, that I just noticed was how Zach just kept getting Shing- towards the tail end. Zach just kept getting Shingo into compromising position, compromising position, compromising position you know, near fall, near fall, near submission, near submission. And oftentimes in your mind, when you see that happening, you, uh, for longtime viewers, especially me, my, my wrestling mind kicks in and says, this guy's getting too close too many times. When you do that, it's usually the tell that the other guy is going to pick up the victory. And I was like, fuck, it looks like Shingo's about to win this match because Zach is getting him pushing him to the brink too often. And like, he's going to slip up or mess up. And Shingo's going to last the dragon him, and that's going to be it. Except it didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) Every single time Shingo got really close to finishing him, like, Zach had an answer for it. And then this crazy close where they come off the top rope, and um, I kept – they they were wrestling into this um, rear naked choke spot, and, like, it just kept looking like Shingo's going to get out, Shingo's going to get out, and, like, you think he's reversing it, you think he's escaping – and Zach just keeps having an answer, an answer, an answer. And then finally, like, he just fucking chokes the guy unconscious. And 
bro i was at the um i was at the gym watching this because i was on i was uh doing a, a light cardio day so i'm like on the fucking treadmill and i was like fuck yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dude it was so exciting like this match ruled it might be like the second or third best match of the whole tournament honestly yeah, I love this matchup. I think, like you mentioned, Shingo and Saber have incredible chemistry. And again, it's kind of one of those mixed match of styles that sometimes you might might not you might think might not work with you know Saber obviously being the super technical submission ground wrestler and Shingo kind of being the more never style strong style. You know, I'm gonna hit you hard, lots of lariats, um, big suplexes, kind of. A, but it, it, they flow together so perfectly and have such great chemistry. And I think this match really played up off of the G1 match and the power struggle match and also just playing into Shingo's story in the tournament. So, you know, previously before facing Sabre, Shingo um, had a, you know, 18-minute war with Chase Owens. And the night night before the Chase match, Chase hit the package power driver on chairs on the Shingo. So Shingo came into it with a hurt neck in the Chase match. And then the whole Chase match... Uh, Chase worked Shingo's neck and was looking for the package pile driver. Didn't get it, but still had a lot of damage on Shingo's neck. So Saber, obviously being the technical, you know, wizard that he is, he focused a lot on Shingo's neck here in this match, which that's at the finish. But also, uh, Saber got the tap out in the G one with the arm. So Shingo mm-hmm. all, or Saber also worked Shingo's arm in this match as well. Um, so a lot of callbacks to that as well. They did tease the same finish that they did in the G the G in the G one. Uh, Shingo's yeah. able to escape though this time. There's so many great counters, and like you mentioned that that closing sequence where Saber he reverses the last of Dragon, gets a sleeper hole on. Like you, I'm like, all right, you know, we've seen spots like this before where you know the guy goes up on top or it will back up into the corner to try and break the hole, and usually gets out and. Shingo, you know, the crowd was really into it. He goes to the top with Saber on his back, does a, does a big backdrop. But then Shingo, or Saber immediately uh, snatches the sleeper right back on Shingo um, and ends out, you know, Shingo passes out. Yeah. Um, and we've seen Shingo passed out before. Uh, we've seen that with uh, the first Okada match where he, he was choked unconscious by the, the money clip. So this isn't the first time before this has happened. And when you talk about the, um, variety of styles i mean if you look at the the fantastic uh zach saber jr tomohiro ishii series of matches that's sort of like a prototype of what this match or what this series was kind of like so you, you almost even had an archetype kind of set for them from the outset but uh my favorite part of this match was the moment where Shingo's working his alternating elbows to the face and he's doing da, 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 and he's rocking Zach and like it looks like Zach's about to go out and then Zach just I don't know he fucking fires up and he just slaps the shit out of Shingo and then and like hard and he was like oh shit and he just starts smack I was like fuck yeah let's turn up and they start going to war and I was like yes this match, if you guys haven't seen it, this this match is a, a must-watch. Must-watch. One of the best matches in New Japan this year. Um, you know, there there's definitely some justifiable um, criticisms of New Japan in 2022 and some justifiable criticisms of this tournament. But we still got, like, six or seven of the best matches this year out of this tournament already, which we, I don't think we usually get that many good matches out of the New Japan Cup in general. So that's that's a positive at the very least. This is one of the very best ones. 
Yeah, I, I went with the the coward rating here. I, I went four point uh, seven five on this matchup. Um, That's uh, fine, man. I thought I thought it was just incredible. Uh, the, the crowd, you know, we're starting to see the crowd are slowly kind of breaking the rules and gasping and you know cheering a little bit, and they were so invested into this match. And when uh, Saber got that submission, uh, you know, the ref stoppage, like crowd gasp and. Uh, big applause, really into this. And, you know, Sabre, he's, he's using more Japanese language in his promos now and really just kind of appealing to the Japanese audience. It just seemed like a really big moment for Sabre. Nice. Well, then the ma- the next match of the night was uh, the uh, the other New Japan Cup 22, 2022 semifinal match. Uh, the main event, Tetsuya Naito, he defeated Kazushiko Okada, 27 minutes and 42 seconds. And um, Jeremy, let me just start by saying we talked about how great the match preceding this was. And we know what Naito and Okada are capable of. We saw it just even as recently as February. But man, they had a tough time following that match before them. They sure did. You know, I was excited about this one. I was ready to go. And, you know, it it took a, a while to get it going for me to really get into this matchup. I mean, Shingo and Saber went balls to the wall and it was just this, you know, epic matchup. And, you know, normally Okada doesn't really have issues in Naito too of following big matches. We, we've seen crazy Wrestle Kingdom lineups where Okada's main eventing or Naito's in a semi-main event. It, they kind of follow what's ever before them. But yeah, they had a really hard time and I, I don't think they topped Shingo and Saber here. Um, still a, a really good match. I, I would still say it's a notebook worthy match but compared to the title match we just saw in the golden series and compared to the rest of the body of the work of the rivalry um it wasn't near the top of what they normally do yeah um 27 minutes for them was a bit long although you know i think typically in their series most of the matches go around 30 so that might even be a little bit shorter than what they usually do it was definitely longer than the February title defense, though. One of the big stories, though, going into this match was how uh, Naito had been unable to utilize the Destino to put anybody away in this tournament, and he was kind of utilizing various different methods of defeat. In most cases, it was roll-ups. And we kind of saw that come into play here in this match. You know, they kind of hit, like, a penultimate moment where you know, they were kind of hitting a critical mass and it just kind of felt like the, the match was hitting a peak. And, um, you know, Naito goes for the roll-up that he's been utilizing, that roll through, like, bridge to try and get the victory. It comes very, very close. And then we saw Okada hit the uh, the cradle that he's used in the past. Uh, Jeremy, I know you like to call it the Omega cradle. Yeah. The one that, that he beat Omega with in the two out of three balls match. And that one, he's got a long history of defeats with that as well. I think recently he beat Jeff Cobb last year with it. And that, that came very, very close. And that's sort of when the match turned up for me at that point. Cause that's when we started seeing like all the, like, uh, you know, all the Gloria's and, you know, all the different signature moves of Naito and Okada. And they just kind of, at that point started breaking out all the hits. I just feel like it took a really long time to get to that point and a lot of the the body of work prior to that just kind of felt lackluster to me and sort of you know meandering um i'll I'll kick it over to you but my thought and this might not be a perfect analogy but this series 
at this point kind of reminds me of like Mizawa and Kawada, but like after 1999, mm. where like their best matches and the like heights of their rivalry are behind them. And now anything that they do after this is going to pale comparison to anything that they've already done prior to that. And they're older as well. And the pace is slower and you know what I mean? That's kind of what I'm, that's kind of the generational rivalry vibe I'm sort of getting from this match at this point. Yeah. And I think a lot of part of it too could be, it does seem also with this Naito victory that we're going to get a May Naito title match with Okada. So they are probably like, let's not throw out a whole bunch of stuff because we're going to need to save some stuff for May. Um, so I feel like that could play a part of it as well. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I feel like a, a lot of the beginning part of the match was like, if you cut that out, like nothing's missing from the match. I mean, obviously there were some limb targeting, you know, going after, you know, Naito's knees, Okada's neck, kind of the same kind of basic stuff they do. But like you mentioned, we've seen for like a decade, right? Nothing really picked up. Like until we, yeah, we got to that Omega cradle and then, yeah, we're seeing the, the glory and Naito, he goes for the Stardust press um, and he hit it in the golden series match, but Okada moved this time. But then, right. then we started seeing, you know, the big counters and Okada's hitting the drop kick and the German and, um, Naito's doing all his stuff, and so that's when, yeah, we pick up again the counter, 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 you know, trying for their Destino, trying for the Rainmaker, trying for the landslide driver. Um, until uh, the finish is great, yeah. The, the the closing sequence of the match is really great, and I mean, I, I, I don't mean to, I still thought this match was about four stars, so it's a recommended match. It's just c- compared to like the match that February, some of their matches in their series. And the fact that it, this is a semifinal main event, you know, I just kind of expected a little bit more. You know, I didn't expect them to have a match of the year contender. I did think they're going to hold something back, like you mentioned. But, uh, you know, I felt like they maybe played it a little too safe this time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Naito ends up busting out the Polvo de Estrella, one of his uh, cradles that he's been doing. Gets the cradle on Okada's, able to uh, pin the world heavyweight champion and also get into the finals of the new Japan cup. Now here's my take on some of this. Um, you know, I thought Okada being in the new Japan cup was very interesting because the champions usually never in it. And we saw him compete against mostly opponents that are not going to get title shots for the most part, you know, uh, Wato, Desperado, uh, Taichi at this point. And even though those are not technically title defenses, I always kind of consider when a champion goes into like a big tournament like the G1, it sort of does count towards the overall body of his singles work as champion because it's so rare that, that the champions even uh, have singles matches in general. So I kind of think it, it, it counts. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that that's sort of the story that they're going to be telling this year with Okada's new challenges, fresh matchups, different things than we've what we've done in the past for a new generation. And that's kind of started to play out a little bit in this tournament. Um, but then that story needed to come to an end at this point. Uh, if you listened to the various weeks of this show, I mean, I've been telling, I've told everybody from the very, very offset of the reviews or the preview that it was going to come down to Naito and Okada, and Okada was going to lose to Naito to set up a May title defense. So, you know, this was not a big secret. But the interesting thing is that they've had Naito doing all roll-up victories. And I think the reason for that is because, spoiler alert, Naito 
does not win this tournament. Just like I've been telling everyone, he's not going to. And I think in order for that to kind of make sense from a, to keep Naito sort of strong, they needed him to basically be maybe wrestling down a little bit, maybe not utilizing the Destino. Maybe he's doing roll-ups, kind of come from behind victories. I mean, I think it's interesting that we saw him wrestle Tanahashi and Okada in the same tournament and Jeff Cobb, three guys that he's had a lot of experience with, great matches, and all three of those matches were less than what you'd expect. And I didn't I didn't think Naito looked like a guy that was uh, hurt or uh, slow or unable to wrestle. I think it has something to do with the fact that they knew from the off from the very outset that he wasn't winning the tournament, and I think that they made him wrestle down a little bit. So is that when he took that loss, it, he wasn't like set up so high that it was a huge fall. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I think they were setting the table the whole time for Naito and Okada to get to this point where both of them had good tournaments but not great tournaments so that Okada could lose to a guy that wasn't streaking super white hot. That's believable. And then Naito is in a position where like when he's ready to take the, the loss in the final – he, he didn't look like the best version of himself the whole time anyways. So, you know, in, in a certain sense, it kind of protects him too. And I think that's what they were purposefully doing the whole time. It's not my favorite logic. I remember when they did this with Okada in the G1 a few years ago when he uh, was broken. And broken. He, yeah, it was broken. <laughs> he didn't really, you know, uh, red balloon Okada. Yeah. I felt like this was kind of a... a mini version of that for Naito in this tournament because uh, I mean think about it why didn't they have him using the Destino why didn't they have him going going out there and having blow away matches when I think he could if he had wanted to yeah definitely so yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense so yeah so we with those matches we end up with a final of Zack Sabre Jr. versus Tetsuya Naito which is what we predicted last week on the show um, so we'll move now to the final night of the tournament, which happened on Sunday, March 27th. The show opened up with Bushi defeating Kosei Vegeta, 7 minutes and 20 seconds. That's your, uh, you know, standard young line match versus a veteran. Uh, good wrestling here, but, you know, really no uh, story development coming out of this. Uh, then the next matchup, we had the Bullet Club team of Bad Luck Fale, Chase Owens, El Fantasmo, Gato, and Taiji Shimori. Defeating G.O.D. 6 or 9 and Jado 9 minutes and 53 seconds. Once again, Bull Club kind of outsmarts um, Jado um, and was able to, Chase Owens able to get the uh, pin over Jado. Well, he, Chase sets the, for Gato to get the pin over Jado in the end. Yeah, and they made mention that the previous night, even though it was a disqualification loss, the two legal men at the time of the victory were Tanahashi and Chase Owens. So the record books do in fact show that Chase Owens has another victory over Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yes. <laughs> Just want to make mention of that. Yeah. And then Chase you knows talking about his uh, big figure contract that he's gotten. And <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's... sounds like MJ. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then the next matchup, we had Suzuki-Yoon, um, Suzuki, Taichi, and Yoshinobu Kanamaru defeating the Chaos team of Tomohiro Ishii, Toriyano, and Yo. Once again, setting up uh, Taichi and Yano for KOPW, and Suzuki and Ishii 
once again uh, brawling uh, throughout this match. After the match, Suzuki and Ishii, they were battling all over the place. Young Lions are trying to pull these guys apart, and they were fighting on the stage and keep coming at each other. Like we mentioned, you know, they seem like they're turning the heat up. Like a upcoming singles match is definitely on the horizon. You know, Kevin Kelly mentioned, you know, both of these guys are could potentially be on the same plane going to the U.S. this weekend. Are they, are they going to continue the brawl on the plane? Um, so I think I do think Windy City Riot probably seems like a likely destination for these two guys to uh, lock horns. Yes, um, and also remember, out of all the men involved in the six-man tag, Yo is still a hoe. <laughs> oh, man. And then uh, also with uh, Taichi and Yano, we're seeing a lot of the sumo wrestling stuff, and we'll, we'll get to what the stipulations are for their matchup, but uh, there's kind of this... I was Googling recently. There's this guy uh, from, like, somewhere in Eastern Europe. I don't want to say the, the wrong country, but uh, they call him, like, the muscular sumo wrestler. And this, was a, this is a gentleman who, like, went to Japan to, to compete in sumo and got really high up in the ranks but was not fat. Like, it was just like, he looked like a kind of like Cesaro. Like if Cesaro decided to like take a, like a guy that's just like fucking shredded and mm-hmm. was like schooling other, like, you know, big sumo wrestlers. And like, um, I want to, I want to find out more about it, you know, cause I back in, apparently I was doing some research back in the old days of sumo wrestling, like the origins and the history of it. Sumo wrestlers were not always traditionally fat. They actually used to be like muscle men, you know, like pro wrestlers, basically, you know, like MMA fighters. And then over time, I think they guys with more mass started to find that to be an advantage that kind of became part of the culture. But like in ancient times, it wasn't like that. And there are still some people that uh, are practitioners that don't put on the mass. I, I don't know. I don't know that much about sumo, but uh, I think it is interesting that, you know, we're going to see Toriano and, uh, and, um, uh, Tai Chi do a sumo match. They've had some interesting stuff. Um, kind of implementing some of Tai Chi's like sumo background. You know, he's kind of got this new uh, sumo elbow thrust that he's been utilizing, which I think is pretty cool. It's almost like a qu- a new finisher. Mm-hmm. And then the one thing uh, he's got sort of like a um, a sumo throw. Yeah, but it, uh, it's it's almost like a standing wizard. Yes, it is. Yeah. But I don't like the way they're pulling it off. It, it always kind of looks I, – I like the idea of what it should be, but it always looks like the guys are kind of just stumbling and kind of like sloppy, and I feel like there should be a smoother – I feel like they should call Ronda Rousey for you – know, <laughs> she, she works those judo moves in pretty well. And like I feel like if someone knows how to turn that into a work uh, move, maybe like her or someone else in the dojo, I don't know. Someone needs to kind of help them because it, it always – Comes off a little loosey goosey for my taste. Yeah, it's almost like they're not expecting it. Like Tai Chi calls it, and they're like, "What?" <laughs> and they he just like tries to throw them. Uh, but yeah, and you know, it's it's not a guarantee that we're seeing these guys in a, in a sumo match. We'll we'll talk about uh, Yano's uh, stipulation here in a second. I think it's already settled. Okay, I know. I thought the the voting was still open today, but yeah, maybe. Oh, it it's is. still open. Okay, but yeah. I mean, like it was like. There's no way that other we'll talk about it, but there's no way that other match is winning. It was like <laughs> 78 to like 12 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to the next match, we had the House of Torture show in Yujiro Takahashi that defeated Suzuki Guns, El Desperado, and Takamichinoku in 37 seconds. So before the match could start, uh, show 
Uh, he storms to the back, you know, saying, you know, he's not going to wrestle. He wants his towel shot. He's complaining. Um, so he goes to the back, and then Despy and Taco come out, and Cho um, attacks Despy on, on the way to the ring, and Taco with the wrench. Um, you know, they throw Taco back into the ring, and um, Yudro hits the uh, big juice on Taka. One, two, three. Um, quick win here. And, you know, show after the match, grabs a belt, looking for a... Uh, also, he's making a challenge here for the junior title. Well, I mean, we've kind of known that for a while. I, I personally, I don't have any real investment in Desperado and show at this point. Not just because of um you know house of torture show but also because this uh the build has just been desperado just getting his ass handed to him by desperado in various different ways whether it's him hitting him with the bell or you know uh the crowbar or jumping him like desperado kind of looks weak in this whole thing and i'm sure it's because he's probably retaining good show although that's not a promise right but I mean, I don't know. I I don't feel any heat for this personally. Yeah, I'm I'm not really digging this uh, build so far, and it's probably just because I'm kind of over uh, show. And everyone done much here. I mean, here in this angle, show he did remove Desperado's mask, hit him with a shock arrow. So that was probably the best part of this build so far. But I'm I'm not really digging it. I mean, the crowd did seem to kind of be into you know booing show as he was leaving before the match started. So it seems like maybe the, the Japanese audience might be a little bit more into it than we are, but I, I'm not really feeling it right now. Yeah. Uh, we have a question here from our user PSAN91. He says, what do you think about people, you know, Sokka actually breaking the rules to shout at show during the angle of Despy? I also noticed watching it how loud the crowd was during the big matches, so it felt like a proper NJPW show. I personally must not have been paying that close of attention. I didn't notice uh, the crowd um, getting vocal in, in that regard. But, uh, I mean, I, I don't know at this point. I mean, who am I to say what they should or shouldn't be doing? Uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think we're getting to the point where they're obviously they're increasing the uh, limitations of people who can be in the buildings. They've been following the rules this whole time, but, you know, sometimes when you're in a show, you just get so excited, you get into it, and I, I think people are getting, kind of getting lost in the show, which is a good thing. They're they're getting caught up in what's happening, and they're just kind of going with their gut and, yeah, yelling at show as he walks by and gasping in these, you know, big matches. Um, so these guys, you know, these fans, are they're ready to kind of get back to usual, which is a follow-up question. He says, how long do you think it will be before they remove the rules about no cheering slash shouting? I really don't know. Um, you know, it feels like the world is moving on from COVID, even though it's not gone away, um, or at least here in the States, like it's just kind of become a non-story as other things like the ongoings in Russia and various different political stories, Chris Rock and Will Smith are kind of dominating the headlines. I mean, I don't know. So I, I can't say what it's like over there. I don't really know. I, I do know that there was a recent increase in Europe, and they were saying that that might follow suit in, you know, in Asia and in the West. But, uh, you know, I, I do look at the numbers, and, like, the death rates are not a, uh, like, they don't seem to correlate 
with the recent spikes, the way that they did in the early days of the pandemic. So whether that's uh, less deadly strains or whether people are taking more precautions or, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, boosted protection from the vaccines or various treatments, I don't know, but hopefully we're getting to a point in life where it's just not as big of a threat as it was in the past and society can kind of move on and we can resume life in a safe way. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I you know, you mentioned here in the U.S., yeah, it doesn't even seem, especially in Florida, I mean, for a while now, it seems like, yeah, COVID doesn't exist. We're back to full capacity, everything. You know, uh, last week I took uh, my fiance to, to see a musical at Ruth Eckerd Hall, uh, jam-packed, you know, nobody wearing masks. It's like, yeah, everything is kind of just back to normal um, here. So hopefully, you know, pretty soon, it, it would be great for, like, best super juniors if restrictions could be lifted uh, but I know Japan is uh, playing it safe, but yeah, hopefully that restriction will be lifted soon. Yeah, the big question is, you know, um, will there even be as much of a um, intrigue at this point for the product as there was, or you know, even just a, a maybe not the same level, but will there be, be similar levels of interest and attendance as there was pre-pandemic? I mean. Just looking at uh, this past weekend, this was a well-attended show, but they got outdrawn, not by much, but they got outdrawn by startup on the same day and then the same weekend. Right. So, yeah, Dr. Joshi James Boyd always makes sure to let us know when stardom outdraws New Japan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, stardom's on fire right now. They're, they're drawing some big houses. They're, they're growing. They're doing a lot of great stuff there. Uh, but, you know, not too bad of a house for New Japan as well. You know, not too far away from that stardom number. Um, I, I do think once we get some, you know, more limitations lifted, and especially as big stars start coming over and we're seeing more intriguing matchups happening, um, I, I think attendance will continue to uh, go back up. Uh, so uh, moving on to the next matchup here, we had the United Empires, Aaron Hanare, Great Okan, Jeff Cobb, and Will Ospreay defeating Makabe, Hanma, and Goto and Yoshihashi. At 10 minutes and 26 seconds, Cobb getting the win with the tour of the islands. After the match, United Empire, they beat down this team of Bishamon and Great Bash Heel. And Cobb and Ocon stand tall with the IWGP tag titles. So just continuing that uh, tag team title build there. Yeah, I don't have much more to add. I kind of gave my two cents on, on you know, the current state of the feud, but, uh, you know, every show they're just making it very apparent that that's where we're headed yeah so we move on to the sixth match we had lij's hiromu and chingo defeating the house of tortures dick togo and evil at seven minutes and 45 seconds um at the beginning of the match um hiromu launched an attack on evil on the ramp and, and those guys are kind of brawling around towards the uh beginning of the match up there and then uh, continuing with the match and then um, leading to um, Hiromu hitting Dick Togo with the everything is evil and uh, pinning Dick Togo with evil's finisher to win the match. Which we saw Hiromu pin evil with his own finisher in this tournament. So continuing this build for the never title, um, evil tried to jump Hiromu after the match, um, but then he, uh, you know, Hiromu was fighting back and evil ran, ran for, uh, you know, safer grounds. Um, and then Hiromu grabbed the never title, grabbed the mic, and, you know, 
he said that he's not challenging evil. He wants evil to challenge him. I didn't pick up on that last bit that he wants evil to challenge him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love the idea that he continues to antagonize evil by using that everything is evil. I don't know if they've given a storyline explanation maybe in the post-match or, or anything about why he's so effective at using that. But I've, I have to assume it has something to do with their you know, previous um, partnership and, and, you know, coming up through the dojo system together, just kind of circling around their relationship with one another. And that kind of being like one of the big focal points of this feud and of the story right here. Yeah. And we had a question from Reddit user Grunty Dodds. He said, what are five things you've liked about evil over the past two years? This can literally be anything, matches, promos, angles, etc." Uh, he has good entrance music. Yeah. Not now, but in his early days when he first turned, he had a great haircut, like with the frosted and the purple. I uh, liked that. Um, I, I like the Hiromu Evil title world title match. I like the... Yeah, but do you like that because of Evil or just... I don't know. It was his best defense. Uh, I liked him in the the New, J- New Japan Cup with Hiromu, that match. Um, I still think it's funny when he says, everything is evil in, in the rock kind of promo voice. Um, uh, I can only tell you that there are two things that I've liked about him in the last five years. He had good hair when he first came back as this new character. And... Uh, and he had good music. You know what? I'll give him a third thing. After he ditched the skirt, this version of his gear, I do think, is better than the LIJ gear that he had previously. The new singlet with the leather and all that. Yeah. That's three things. They're all appearance-based. <laughs> Hair, music, and gear. Those are the only things that I liked about the dude. Yeah. And I like when he loses. <laughs> Yes, but I don't like to watch him wrestle, even when he loses. But I like the outcome when he does lose. Yes, I, I like when he is not involved in the world title picture. I also like, yeah, I like when he's not involved in the in the title picture. So that's five things. There you go. <laughs> uh, so moving on to the semi main event, we had a special eight man tag here. We had Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kazuchika Okada, Satoshi Kojima, and Tiger Mask defeating the team of Strongheart, Shima, El Lindemann, and T-Hawk, and they teamed up with Tatsumi Fujinami. Yeah, I'll just say this right now. Um, I like this match a lot. I thought it was really, really cool, really fun, really interesting. You know, um, just the idea of hitting all these different um, New Japan loyalists and very, like, foundational key figures, uh, Okada, Kojima, Tiger Mask. I like Tiger Mask, the fact that he... um, And Tanahashi was in this match too, right? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, you've kind of got, like, your core guys there. And then I love that Tiger Mask sort of um, paid homage to Satoru Sayama's Tiger Mask with uh, the look of his gear. And then, you know... You kind of compare that on the opposite side. You've got three guys from 
you know, Glate, uh, Strong Hearts, you know, so outsiders teaming with another quote unquote outsider in Fujinami. But, you know, Fujinami is like the second ace of the company. He was in the first match in the history of New Japan ever, like in the opener of the original show, you know, multi-time world champion with the company. Like, you know, he, he's a key foundational, like pillar of the company. And, you know, now he kind of works for tradition but like seeing all these different mixed parts of these non-traditional New Japan outsiders mixing it up with the foundational guys and how the crowd kind of popped for all these different like, uh, you know, groupings. And then one thing too is like, I really love uh, the way that the Strong Hearts have just kind of brought many of their um, Dragon Gate-esque multi-man match kind of stylings into the, the their approach with these matches and um, I'll tell you right now, I think that this is one of the first early candidates for tag team match of the year in New Japan. I went four stars on this. That's how high I was. And I thought it was very, very fun, very exciting, very intriguing. I loved the stuff with T-Hawk and Okada specifically. There's a lot to like here. And um, for a tag team, for an eight-man tag, multi-man, semi-man event on a final show like this, I thought this match ruled. Yeah, this was a really, really fun match. I enjoyed it a lot as well. Uh, really entertaining. Like you mentioned, the stuff with Okada and T-Hawk was really great, especially the closing sequence. They were the last two guys um, in the ring for the, the closing of the match, and uh, T-Hawk was just hitting some incredible sequences on Okada. There was one really, really close near fall where Okada literally kicked out a 2.99, and the crowd let out a big gasp and thought that T-Hawk was going to pull the upset. And it seemed like the crowd kind of wanted T-Hawk to pull the upset for something different and intriguing to happen. And it seemed like Okada was really on the ropes. And then, you know, Tanahashi came in and kind of, I mean, kind of helped Okada out with the save. And then Okada was able to kind of rebound, hit the landslide and the rainmaker on T-Hawk. But that little segment there was really great and kind of surprising to see how much, Okada gave T-Hawk in all those, you know, great near falls he was getting. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. Like, you know, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and claim that I'm watching everything that happens in the pro world, but and anyone that kind of knows what the deal is with T-Hawk, I mean, he has been outstanding over the past few years. Um, and in many ways, I would say is the real standout individual of uh, Strong Hearts, even though you know, from a looks perspective, he might not have the, you know, prestige and acclaim of Shima, and he might not have, like, you know, that the star-making kind of, like, quality of, like, El Lindemann. You know, you look at Lindemann, you just think, like, man, big, strong boy. Like, this guy's got a look. He, he, he can really go, and he can do awesome stuff, too. But, like, uh, for my money, I think T-Hawk's, like, the man in the group, and he's kind of proven that in every company that they've been in over the past couple of years, and in this match, he really got his first true opportunity to shine in a New Japan ring. He did not disappoint. Now, I'm, I won't sit here and say that I think they're going down the line with an Okada um, T-Hawk match, but they, they gave you a little breadcrumb to where if they ever did decide to do that, maybe now, maybe years from now, I don't know. It's there kind of similar to what they set the table for with Kiyomiya and Okada during the Noah show um, back in January. So, like, I, I bid on it for a second. I was like, holy fuck, like, he almost 
those pin if he pinned okada i'd be like damn like we got a we got another title shot like coming up this is awesome but uh alas that didn't happen but still this match was really cool and i, I like that moment a lot yeah and i'm not sure what uh you know t hawk's weight classification is but i mean he's a guy you could throw in the g1 uh, i think he's heavyweight and you can run back T-Hawk and Okada in the G1, and maybe you do have T-Hawk beat Okada, and he gets a post-G1 tile shot on the road to Wrestle Kingdom. Um, so there's a lot of intriguing stuff they could do um, based off this segment with uh, T-Hawk and Okada. Uh, we had a question here from Les Commission 7252. Would you say that T-Hawk made Master Wato look like a young lion again the way he outperformed Wato when stepping in the ring for Okada in this tag match? Um, you know, I, I don't know if I would go that far and say he made him look like the young lion, but like, there's no denying in my mind that T-Hawk is light years beyond Master Watto. I think Watto has upside, of course, and I've said that on the podcast before, and I think he's improving, but like, do I think he, um, you know, there's levels to this game. And I mean, already, I think T-Hawk is far, far beyond him. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think that's a surprise to anybody, anybody that's kind of in the know, I mean, like, you look at the work that he did in Dragon Gate, and then after that, you know, in DDT, and then in uh, All Japan, and Wrestle 1. I think he was the Wrestle 1 champion for, like, a nine-month stretch and had incredible talent defenses. So, I mean, he's kind of way beyond Wato just in terms of experience and, and everything like that. Yeah, I think it's really hard to, yeah, compare those two guys. They're on, like you mentioned, different levels, different playing fields, and, you know, we mentioned, you know, Watto against Okada would have been a good opportunity for Watto to kind of show what he got. And, you know, he did show what he got, and he just wasn't on that level. And T-Hawk showed what he got here, and he is on that level to have a, a great match with Okada. Yeah, when T-Hawk, when, um, when Watto was, like, still on excursion in Mexico, like, T-Hawk was already, like, main eventing major shows in Japan at that point. So, yeah, you know, he's, they're, they're not, like, the same class. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Viking Pain asks, do you think we'll be seeing more from Stronghearts in the future? All three guys could add some much-needed life into this year's Best of the Super Juniors. Well, depending on if they go back to the two-block tournament model, which I think they should, and everything like that, I think we can maybe see Lindemann. And to be honest, I think L. Lindemann is the only guy they're going to classify as a junior. Um, They've been very careful not to call Shima a junior in any respect or any regard at all and i think that there's a probably some sort of order from on top not to do that and when you look at t-hawk's frame and you compare it to shima's he's even bigger and they kind of mentioned on commentary that he's probably heavyweight so i don't think we'll be seeing them in the super juniors but i think we could easily be seeing l lindeman and that's the guy that desperado has said he wanted to wrestle many times over the past year anyways so I hope that that happens. But, I mean, I looked at cage match this past weekend, doing some excursion match of the year, like, research. And, I mean, as unbelievable as it sounds, Shima's already had nine matches in New Japan this year. And is pro- they're probably going to be having more in the future, um, which puts us kind of this podcast in the conundrum because we don't know how to classify a guy like Shima when we do excursion match of the year. Because, like, last year the rule was, like, five appearances and you kind of qualified, but like they don't even, even though they're showing up, they still feel like out, like outright and out and out outsiders, but he's already like way past our five appearance rule for last year. So I guess we'll have to kind of rethink some things, but yes, I think I hopefully we'll continue to see them as the year goes on. 
Yeah, you know, there was reports earlier when they first started showing up that Liger um, was a big fan and really wanted Lindemann in Super Juniors. And there are some reports coming out from this weekend's show that a lot of the key people in the office of New Japan were very impressed with strong hearts. Um, so it does sound like they we're going to see more strong hearts. And, you know, it could be a similar situation that we've seen in the past when outsiders come in, like uh, Kota Ibushi and Ricochet and guys are coming in from Dragon Gate and DDT, and then they kind of slowly just, you know, get <laughs> snagged up by New Japan and become full-time New Japan guys. And uh, so we could be seeing these, this Glate trio. I mean, they could just leave Glate and end up just being full-time New Japan. So, Possibly. Yeah. At the same time, I, I don't understand the full um, relationship, but I think that Shima has some sort of uh, ownership stake in that company, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, maybe, but, you know, if Obari backs up those Obari bucks, you know, <laughs> man might, might leave. <laughs> might, pull a code, might pull a Cody. I guess, yeah. But, I mean, at the very least, for now, the companies are kind of have some sort of exchange, even if it's just for these guys. I don't know. But yeah, it's interesting. Uh, then Reddit user Ghost of Doc Gonzo. Any chance we could see the Stronghearts take the Never Six Man titles off of House of Torture? I personally would love to see it. And they could have a lot of awesome matches defending the belts, more than House of Torture could for damn sure. I'm all for that. I mean... I loved last year and the year prior to that when when uh, the Chaos Trio had uh, possession of those belts and really made it matter. And I feel like uh, long term, you're going to need to find something for Strong Hearts to do if they're going to continue in the company. And that kind of gets dicey, but that would be a nice landing spot for all three of those guys. You know, keep them together as a unit put them in meaningful matches for a title that maybe isn't the most important, but they could add some prestige to it. Uh, they could probably draw some nice cork in all crowds. And, you know, uh, I'm sure because it's the strong hearts, they wouldn't be getting those low slots during major cards the same way that Castrio was. They could probably, they're one of the few groups that I think could actually elevate in a certain respect, the prestige of the titles, even more than the Castrio did just based on um, Shima's name alone, you know? Yeah, and that, that would be pretty cool to have those guys with the Never Six titles. And, yeah, and seeing them featured on some of the bigger shows and some defenses would be a fresh unit. Um, they're great in six-man tags. It would, Yeah, I think it would bring a lot of life into that division right now. The other thing, too, I thought about is, you know, once they're able to do it, we've never really seen all three sons of Haku team together. And that, that's another potential trio down the line that could – maybe hold those titles and maybe add some meaning to the belts, you know? Yeah, that'd be cool. So now let's move on to the main event, the New Japan Cup 2022 final match. Zack Sabre Jr. He defeats Tetsuya Naito 24 minutes and 43 seconds. Zacky two cups. Zack once again, a New Japan Cup winner. Young boy, what did you think about this main event final tournament matchup here. I liked it a lot. Um, you know, Naito and Zack Sabre Jr., they have a lot of history with one another. And a lot of that history kind of starts um, at the first New Japan Cup that they competed against one another when this podcast was in its early days in infancy. And, yeah. Uh, when Zack beat Naito in the early 
rounds of that tournament, it was really shocking because like he he flat out tapped the man and it, or like he got a ref stoppage on him possibly. I can't remember. Yeah, he had him but, in the uh, the orienteering with napalm death that yeah. kind of banana split like maneuver and Naito there was nowhere for Naito to go. The ref had to, had to call it. Yeah, so and then ever since then the momentum has kind of shifted over the years. There've been times where uh, they've had many like numerous mini trilogies over different uh year periods but like there's been times where zach has seemed to have naito's number and then naito's kind of regained it and um you know again that's sort of playing out here i mean um i heard a clip with chris samsa um just recently i think it was on the fight game podcast and you saw like because they actually taped their podcast like you saw where like the light bulb clicked for him. So this is after he was on our show and did the, uh, the preview. Cause I don't think he was saying these things during the preview, but you know, we were a little deeper into the tournament that at this point, And Chris was like, you know what? It's going to end up being Naito and, and um, Zach in the finals, like something just clicked. And then like, uh, he was like, yeah, it just makes sense. He was like, think about it. He was like, Naito, the last guy that he like lost to in the G1 was Zach and that's when he got injured he was unable to compete for the rest of the tournament now we get here the end of this tournament it just makes sense from a storyline standpoint that it would come down to the two of them if there's because everyone kind of thought it was going to be naito on, on the left side of the bracket anyways it was kind of figuring out who was going to be on the right side to oppose him that was the difficult task and he kind of figured this out a few weeks ago and i i think we were a little bit later in the game on that standpoint but like at least for the last couple episodes, we've been saying the same thing too. And it made sense from a storyline perspective. And I really love the way they laid out this match. Um, yeah. They we had the return of uh, VTRs before the match. They had a great job highlighting yes. that, you know, Naito had won all his tournament matchups with roll-ups. Notice Dino Saber had won all his tournament matches with submissions, um, different submissions, so both of these guys kind of coming in with their whole story of the tournament. Great job building the matchup with the BTR. Um, and then this whole an incredible story. And like you mentioned, there's so much history to play up on in this matchup. It, it, it was awesome. And going back to, like you mentioned, that first New Japan Cup uh, victory that Sabre had over Naito in 2018, they, they did a recall that spot. Sabre got Naito yeah. in the orienteering of Napalm Death. Um, but Naito was able to get to the ropes this time. Um, so just so many great callbacks like like that made this match really, really great. Yeah, I agree. Um, another thing, too, that was kind of a, a story point was the way that Zach had gone through so many wars in this tournament that his body was kind of breaking down. And, like, they kind of there, – there's this gigantic bruise on his inner thigh, and they kind mm. of, like, showcase that. And then um, – they said that he was having trouble with his ribs and he sold the ribs the entire match. Now, whether that's a shooter or work, I don't really know. I, you know, these guys do have very grueling, um, you know, schedules, especially when it comes to this tournament. So who knows, maybe there's a little bit of uh, life imitating art or vice versa, but um, he really sold the pain that he was going through with his ribs all throughout the match. And that was kind of like a thing was like him having to fight through these accumulating injuries to still put himself in a position to potentially try and tap out Naito and Naito, you know, kind of, um, you know, going, actually I'm trying to think of it. Like what was the story with Naito on his side of things? 
Um, I think what for Naito here, I think once again he was looking for a, a lot of those cradles, trying to uh, avoid you know Saber had targeted in on the leg, um, and trying to you know, you know avoid being getting caught in a submission while at the same time trying to pull one of these wacky roll ups on, but he just couldn't seem to you know out wrestle Zach to be able to get him stuck in one of those holes. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, is that what his game plan was? Was he trying to out wrestle him and just use like a classic catch? pinning combination to win the whole time sort of what it felt felt like to a certain degree i suppose yeah and then there was that one sequence toward the end where they were busting out all the near falls like naito was doing a bunch of cradles like he did that right. that one like bounce off the rope um jackknife cover that he pinned tanahashi with and he was doing all the the, the roll-ups that he used in the tournament and saber was out saber was using the european clutch and uh crucifix saber was doing a lot of near fall um quick pins as well uh, there was a great sequence where, uh, you know, Naito versus the Zack driver um, into the uh, Valentina. Um, and Sabre eventually did get the Zack driver for a near fall. Uh, that was great. Um, is it the Valentina or the Valencia? Uh, I think there's two. There is. I think there's both. Um, See, I, I, it's always hard for me with Naito because he's got so many names to his sake. What's the, the Esperanza? Is that the one where he? Uh... That's the Diamond Dust, the, the top rope. Flipping uh, WDT See, like thing. He's got the Esperanza, he's got the Victoria, he's got the Valencia, he's got the combination. There's like so many. Like, I'm like, just call them by their names, bro. <laughs> yeah, stop confusing us. Confusing uh, me, dude. <laughs> uh, but yeah, then the, the closing stretch was awesome as, uh, you know, Saber hits a penalty kick, a DT, and he hits another uh, a big spinning. Zach driver here to get the win and kind of, you know, breaking from what he did in the whole tournament when tapping people out, he goes back to, he goes to the Zach driver. And I don't know if you've seen any of the post-match promos where he's talking about how like in the middle of the match, like George Michael was like talking to him and yes, yeah, in previous matches, he talked about how he said, you know, you need to use techers. And so he, he would use his submissions. And then he's like, here, he was like, first George Michael was like, I'm here to tell you the same advice. You need to use techers. And Saber was like, "Well, you already told me that." And he's like, "Oh, well, in that case, use a Zack driver." <laughs> he's like, "All right." So I got up and I used a Zack driver. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, yeah, I saw that. Uh, the, one of the things I noticed in this match too, again, very similar to what I was kind of mentioning with the Shingo match, was like towards the tail end. Yeah, they did do a bunch of like back and forth you know, spots with, like, submission, near fall, submission, near fall, going back and forth. But there was a point where, like, um, it just felt to me like I knew Zach was winning. Like, I had no doubt Zach was winning. But then he kept getting so many close near stoppages on some of these submissions and some of those penalty kicks, and it was mounting and mounting and mounting. And, like, uh, Naito was falling further and further behind, and I was like, fuck, he's falling so far behind that it feels like he's going to get the upper hand and win this thing. Mm -hmm. I was getting nervous. Kind of like the same thing they did with Shingo. Kind of like how it felt a little bit against Will. But instead of doing that um, that formula where one guy looks really, really strong just before they get defeated, he just kept looking strong. And then eventually like it was too much to handle. And it was like, boom, that penalty kick. And then the like you said, the, uh, the spinning DDT, and then finally the Zack driver, and I was like, fuck, he, like, he did it. Like, this is awesome. Um, but it was just, it, man, it was really crazy. Like, I was just kind of on the edge of my seat when it came to this whole thing. And two things I've noticed 
when it comes to Zach Sabre Jr. that's a little different than in the past. Like, you look back at his 2018 G1 or uh, New Japan Cup, and in that one, he was eating most of his opponents alive. The matches were still great. He was still great. But we had some complaints about, like, the tone, the psychology, the pacing of those matches. Zach's really not doing all that anymore. Like, he's not putting guys in submissions that they're so compromised they can't get out of and then just releasing them and then going into another one and then having to have like some sort of weird kayfabe explanation about him being sadistic as to why he's not finishing these guys. Instead, he's working these moves a lot smarter and like starting smaller and then moving to something that's a little bit more, for instance, it's kind of similar to like, remember when Samoa Joe would like have a guy like in a submission, the guy almost gets out and then he, he works that into something even more vicious, and then they almost get out. Now he's got him in like a Kakina clutch or some shit. Yeah, that's kind of what Zach's been doing, but on a higher level. Mix and then mixing that in with chain grappling and strikes and and kind of creating these very complex grapple spots that like they don't look like spots, but coming from someone who's done a little bit of wrestling, it those are spots. They're laid out in the same psychology and style as the spot wrestling is. Uh, it's very high level and very like crazy, and it's a lot more um, dynamic than him just having Ishii like so tied up that he can't do anything. He has to get to a rope, and there's still a little bit of that, but he's he's really elevated his psychology of his matches. The second thing is, in the past, the story with Zach has always been he's not a striker, but he gets goaded into striking, and that's his undoing. And in these matches because he's added some bulk and he's become a smarter wrestler, at least in the kayfabe sense, he's using his strikes to set up openings for the submissions. Mm, Yeah. You know, which is a similar mindset to what you'd see in MMA. Now I'm not saying he he couldn't do that all along. I'm sure the story that he's wanted to tell in the past didn't call for that. But as of right now, as a character, that's what he's doing. It's like he is getting into these strike exchanges. And then just before he's going to get the worst of it, boom, He's, he, he's goading them into thinking they have the upper hand and getting openings to go for legs, go for arms, go for necks, what have you. I love this. Like, um, I, I've been really impressed with, like, for instance, Jonathan Gresham this year. And, you know, I, I see all the memes, working on, bro. But, like, anyone who's actually watching Jonathan Gresham realizes he's not doing that shit. Like, he is on a fucking high level when it comes to his grappling. But, like, bro, that's past him right now. And as great as Brian Danielson is, and he this is the best Brian Danielson's looked <laughs> forever. Zach's passed him too, man. Like Zach has figured some some next level stuff out. Like these uh sequences that he he did in this tournament with Naito and with Osprey, bro, even the Doki match, um and, and the Shingo match, like there's no doubt he's the wrestler of the month this year. And and like last thing I'll say and then I'll kick it over to you. I know that we. this is not going to probably be the case. Um, we have so much more year left, but at the quarter mark of the year, the first quarter, if you were to stop time right now and ask who is the wrestler of the year for me, it's Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah, and that actually kind of plays into the first question we had here from Les Commission 7252. It says, before he won the New Japan Cup, I predicted that Zack Sabre Jr. will win New Japan MVP in the awards at the end of the year. As we're in March right now, who do you guys predict will win MVP? Kazushiko Kata. 
Um, I don't I, I don't see anybody being able to fully surpass him this year just because he's got a lot of big main events, a lot of title matches. I think he has a chance of winning the G1 as champion. Yeah. Um, I think the way that Okada is positioned, yeah, he's going to definitely win like Tokyo Sports Award for our, you know, keeping a strong style wrestler of the year. I know I think it's a little bit too early to tell. You know, we really, you really can't really tell until after G1, but um, I think our voters vote a little bit more for the, the in-ring than just kind of the, the kayfabe positioning. So I do feel like if you mentioned, if you stop time right now, I think Zach would be one of the top guys uh, getting votes for uh, wrestler of the year or MVP, whatever you want to call it, depending on where you're voting. Uh, moving on to Raising Falcons. It's, I loved ZSJ versus Will Ospreay match. is currently my match of the year. Those match rank in the top. Does those matches rank in the top three matches of the year in New Japan for you guys? I think so. Yeah. Um, things have been kind of weird still being in this like uh, artificial environment with clap crowds. I really want to get back to like full strength crowds, full attendance, everything. But for me right now, I think that the match with Will and the match with Shingo are both up there. Uh, they're probably in my top five for the year. Yeah, I'd agree. Those are just excellent stuff. Two guys that he has great chemistry with. And, you know, I've seen a lot of high marks of this Naito match as well. Also, I think Zach's whole tournament was just really great. Even though you mentioned the Doki match, like that was a great match. And then, yeah, this this that closing stretch of Osprey, Shingo, Naito, Really great stretch of wrestling there for uh, Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, Raising Fossil also asked, he said, this year's New Japan Cup started off real slow with the first three rounds. Uh, once most of the lower-end talent, lower talent was eliminated from the quarterfinals forward, it felt like a compelling, completely different tournament. Would you say that 40-man New Japan Cup with no outside talent is too big for NJPW? How many wrestlers do you think is the right amount for the New Japan Cup? Um... It really just depends. I mean, we've seen them do 32-man cups pretty effectively, although, in my opinion, I've almost always preferred the 16-man cup tournaments to the 32-man cup tournaments. Uh, I, I really just think it depends on how you book it out and what talent you have available and what stories you're going for. But, yeah, I mean, the first three rounds of this tournament, all the it was pretty much scratch picks. And, I mean, mainly that's because yeah, dads and lions and no hopers and people that were just there's no way they're gonna win and that takes some of the intrigue and excitement of the upsets and the um high caliber first round matches that you're used to seeing in early parts of new japan cups it takes that part away but then it sets you up for a stronger second half of the tournament which is not what we're used to getting from new japan cup i do think i'd like something a little more balanced personally but you know my favorite single elimination New Japan tournament in the past, like say, decade is easily not a New Japan Cup tournament. It's that uh, that U.S. title tournament that they did in in America, and that's because almost every match was bangers. They had eight men, and all of them had, you know, four stars or better matches. And so I'll take an eight man two night tournament where they just go out there and fucking kill it any day of the week. Yeah, G one special in uh, San Francisco. Um... You know, I am okay with a 32-man tournament if you have availability to more outsiders and you can do some more um, intriguing things. If you don't really have the ability for outsiders, I would say you, you kind of stick to that 16-man format, kind of stick with your top 
top dogs and, and go from there. Uh, but I definitely, but Jeremy, then you, you can't do as many shows if you do that. That's true. Yeah. You, you can't get as much, you know, the, 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 the profit you need. <laughs> um, Raising Falcon's last question from one to 10, how probable is it of ZSJ winning the IWGP world championship? Um, on this title defense, I think it's, um, I think it's more probable, let's say, that he wins the title in the, in a shock in this next title defense than it will be for Naito to win the title in May. Mm. But that being said, I still think it's highly, highly unlikely. Um, I would go like three out of ten. Yeah, I was going to say like two out of ten. I don't think the chances are very high for uh, Zach winning, especially with the seeds that they laid with Naito beating Okada. It, it seems clear, especially running you know a, a big dome in May, that they're going to do one of their biggest strong matches, Okada-Naito, world title rematch, and kind of run that in May. Um, I have a hard time believing that they would have had Naito get that win and then not do that title match right away. Well, you know, um, who is your pick to win the whole tournament? Was it Cobb? Uh, yes. So, I mean, you picked Cobb. I picked Ocon. Um, and it ultimately ended up being Zack Sabre Jr. But what was the commonality that we had amongst all those three individuals? All three of them are people that have never won the title. All three of them are people that haven't challenged for the title in, um, well, I guess Cobb. Well, no, I guess Zach has recently, but still, um, all three of them are people that probably are not going to win the title in the next challenge at all, but really could have benefited in a major way by being the guy that won the tournament, went through a killer's row, and then has a great match against Okada and gets made in defeat. Uh, I think for both of you and I, it's not that we didn't think Zach couldn't be that person. It just seemed unlikely since... He's already done it before. We've kind of told that story, but I feel like they've done it in a, a new and fresh way to where it's like, of course it can be Zach. He's even better than he was before. And I'm kind of excited for what's on the horizon for him beyond this title defense, because do I think he could be an IWGP champion in the future? Yes, I, I do. And I think that they've kind of established that in this tournament, even more so than they did in 2018. Yeah, and, you know, there was a, a news story that came out uh, from Voices of Wrestling last week on their Patreon, kind of talking about some news and notes of behind-the-scenes things happening in New Japan right now and with this tournament. Um, and there is, in that story, talking about that it seemed like Abushi was the one that was penciled in to win this tournament to do Abushi you know, Okada um, at Hyper Battle, but then with Abushi not being cleared, that kind of threw the booking up in the air and the winner was coming from the right side of the bracket. And there were people arguing for great Ocon to win or people arguing for Sabre to win. Um, and so clearly the, the people who are fighting for Sabre got their voice heard and uh, Sabre's the one to come, come through the tournament. And I think that was a good call to make. I, I think it would have been cool for Ocon to win. I think the, the logic there was they didn't want to blow off Ocon's first big title match uh, so soon. Um, but I think Sabre was a good call, and he's a, a credible challenger, a guy who can have um, a great match with Okada and, and being a great world title match in that hyper battle main event. Yeah, I agree. 
uh, Rambone Slam Pig asked, does ZSJ get a title opportunity like this at this point in time if he didn't stick around for the pandemic and show such significant loyalty to the company? Is this a thank you push, a calendar filler, or something more? I think it's a little bit of all those things. I think him uh, sticking around has helped. I think him taking his physical fitness a little more seriously really helped a lot. Um, And yeah, I think the fact of the matter is he fits the bill of what they were looking to do in this spot in April, someone that they can heat up at a moment's notice that can have a great match that is believable and would mean something in defeat and is also also a fresh challenger because keep in mind that last uh title match he had with uh okada was all the way back in 2018 so yeah i think it fits the bill and i think could it be a little bit of an attaboy yes but uh it's also sort of like he earned this i mean look at the strides it's really hard when you're a guy that has won best technical wrestler in the in the world for this many years straight to keep improving and at this point anyone who's watching him it'd be hard for them to to not say that he's not improving i mean there's a point where like there's a lot of people out there detracting from zach saber oh he's boring oh yeah yeah i mean anyone who's watching him today i i couldn't even i would laugh in your face if you said that zach saber in 2022 was a boring wrestler this guy goes out there and has fucking bangers every single time you know yeah um, I definitely think it's just more, it's more than a thank you. I think there's a lot of things that were going for Zach Sabre Jr. I think it's kind of the right time, right place. Um, Dangerous Techers are, are kind of on ice right now. You, you did a lot with them last year in the tag team titles. Like, there wasn't much for them to do quite at this moment. So kind of shifting from Dangerous Techers, putting on the weight, like you mentioned on commentary, they talked about the amount of kilos that he pull, put on. You can see that he's, you know, bigger and bigger in stature, and I'm sure that helped as well. He's been, um, you know, learning the Japanese language, kind of it, kind of what we saw with, like, Omega and, and Osprey, living in Japan, learning the language, and really kind of, um, you know, winning over the, the Japanese crowd. And even Kevin Kelly mentioned they're kind of seeing Zach as, you know, one of their own now. And so I'm sure that helped a lot in the situation. Like you mentioned, you know, the Okada Saber match being pretty protected those guys have only had uh, three singles matches, two in New Japan, one in Rev Pro, um, and Saber's only beaten Okada once in Rev Pro. He has he's, he has not beaten Okada in New Japan yet, so there's a, a whole story they can tell there with the Okada Saber matchup. Um, like you mentioned, haven't haven't done the big title matches 2018, then they face in in the G1. Um, so whole ton of story here they can tell. So. I think it was the right place, right time. A lot of good things going for Saber, um, and so I think it's a little bit more of a thank you. I think it definitely definitely helped that he was hit there during the pandemic, but I don't think that's the only reason they decided to go with him. Um, then Rambones also asked, "Will the wholesome bromance between ZSJ and Taichi someday become as legendary as a tale of the Golden Lovers?" I mean, for some people, it already is. <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, post match, you know that Zach went did a did a promo in, in the backstage uh, press comments, and of course Taichi was there and they're celebrating and they had their you know little uh, moment there and Taichi very supportive of Zach here. So yeah, I mean yeah, I I really enjoyed the post match celebration with uh, Zach and uh, and Taichi there. Just uh, like you said, very wholesome. You know, it's it's good to sometimes see tag team partners that actually support each other and actually get along. I'm not saying could they ever break up someday and have a great feud? Sure. But like, it's kind of refreshing to not like 
watch a tag team get together and then watch the four to six month arc where they're going to like start feuding, <laughs> you know? Right. And it was kind of like we were talking about earlier with the whole Tama stuff. It's like, I feel like you could do this with Tama. Like you can do single stuff with Tama and still have him be with Tangaloa. You don't necessarily have to break them up. And like Dangerous Tickers, like they're not broken up. They're both still in Suzuki and they still team together. But this was a single season. Both of them were in the tournament. Zach got to the finals and won. And you're pushing Zach, but Dangerous Tickers is still a thing. Um, so that uh, pretty much wraps up the the finals there. A uh, big win for Zach getting the streamers and stuff at the end. They're getting the, the New Japan Cup again. Uh, Kung the post match promo. He said it was coming home. It came yeah. home. Yeah. So uh, that pretty much you know wraps up the the New Japan Cup. Uh, I do have a couple of questions here about the tournament overall. Uh, Rambo and Slam Pig ass on the bounce. Does the ratio of good stuff from the last couple rounds make up for some of of the boring early round shows, or does the dilution of good content? Blunt the impact of the really good matches toward the end. The dilution of good content from the uh, the dilution of good content does get blunted. Uh, I'm I'm trying to read what he said. Let me just make it very simple. Um, the the shitty quality of the early shows killed any hype or momentum that they might have had. For this tournament going into the finals um there was very little buzz about this tournament about these matches at the very end i think um maybe some good faith like word of mouth towards the tail end might have got some people intrigued but there's a reason why they usually do upsets in the early part of the tournament there's a reason why they do big matches in big main events almost every night of the tournament all throughout and i think they tried there were some you know, people that got injured, people that weren't ready to go, and that might have killed some of their plans. But, like, they, they, they kind of got greedy with it by putting too many people in, and they did dilute and water down the early parts of the tournament to where, like, it was cannon fodder shit that you didn't need to watch, and it did make the good stuff towards the tail end of the tournament. Like, it bogged it down, and it killed the, the momentum of the tournament. You don't want that, and I don't want that. And I could definitely feel that from the fandom and from, you know, people that, that are peripheral watchers. And I don't think that was a good thing at all. I think that they, that's a big swing and a miss. I think they missed the mark here. Yeah, definitely uh, hurt having that slow opening to the tournament. Like you mentioned, I think it, it did kill a lot of you know, people's attention. You know, New Japan is, is it's lukewarm right now for some people. And I think it, it take, it's going to take a lot for New Japan to get people really invested again and to catch their interest. And so I'm sure the slow start really t- probably turned some people off. And yeah, you know, those, all these great Zach matches we're talking about are not getting the you know buzz that they're they should be getting. And you know, as the tournament was going on, you know, we we look at sites to you know see reviews and kind of see what everybody was thinking. But towards the tail end of the tournament, I'm, I'm looking at you know F4W online. I'm looking at 401 Mania, I'm looking at VoicesOfWrestling.com, and there's, like, no reviews. There's, like, nobody talking about these shows. Like, I didn't start seeing reviews and content again until we got to the semifinals and finals. But, yep. like, but, like, you know, the middle of the tournament, up until before semifinals, like, nobody was talking about it. Nobody's covering it. Um, it just kind of fall, fell in a void. 
Yeah, totally agree. The other thing too um, that I don't think helped was the underperformance of the wrestling matches on the left side of the bracket, uh, considering the fact that you had matches with Tai, tai Chi. Uh, well, I guess I shouldn't count him. Um, <laughs> Mishima and Okada and Tanahashi and Jeff Cobb and Naito. I would have expected much higher caliber matches. and They had good matches, but most of those matches were not truly great matches. Most of the really good stuff that came out of this tournament was on the right side of stuff with Romu, stuff with Suzuki, stuff with Osprey, stuff with Shingo, stuff with Ishii, um, you know, those guys, and Zach, of course. So, you know, the right side of the tournaments where all the hot shit was, and there was a couple great matches on the left side, but it was, it didn't compare. I mean, you know, uh, B block rules. Yeah, yeah, the right side was definitely like a like a G one B block where you have all the killers and all the bangers are happening. Yeah. Already uh, user Grunty Dodds asks, how would you rank the pandemic era New Japan Cup tournaments? I'm presuming twenty twenty is going to come in dead last. At this point, I'm like, how many have we had now? Is this the third one? Yeah. So yeah, twenty twenty, twenty twenty one, and twenty twenty two. I don't even like it's hard for me to even like remember all the New Japan Cups that we've watched over the years. So I don't know. I would, I would, I'd probably say this was the, I don't know. 2020 might be the highest one. Yeah. I think obviously 2020 has the evil win. Yeah. You have the evil win. So the conclusion of the tournament was not great, but there were a lot of bangers. The tournament itself was great until the final. Yeah. That Uh, might be better than these two. Yeah. I don't know. They Uh, all kind of suck. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely pros and cons to all of them. You know, 2021, you had Osprey, Shingo. Uh, final, you had Shingo running through former New Japan Cup winners to get to the finals. It's uh, tough. I don't know. I'm I'm not going to play that game. I'm, plus, I'm getting tired. Ready's <laughs> <laughs> uh, for Viking Pain says, what was your favorite match in this year's tournament? Uh, that's a tough one. I've thought a lot about it. I think it's still... I don't know. It's either Zach and Will or Zach and Osprey. I or Zach and Will. It's either Zach and Shingo or Zach and Osprey. I don't know which one I like better. Yeah, I'm I'm stuck between those two as well. Uh, For me, it it was like I liked a lot of Zach and Will better, but that finish, I wasn't the biggest fan of that finish, and I think that that detracted for me a little bit. And then on the Zach Shingo side, that one's just like almost flawless, but like it didn't have the same level of sequences. I mean, bro, there was some sequences in that Zach Will match that was like next level. So it, they're different matches. It's really hard for me to to say. I mean, probably Zach Will. Mm. If I'm going my gut, but I mean they're. I mean, toss a coin, you know? Yeah, I think I might be leaning a little bit more towards a Shingo match, but yeah, it's... You ask me tomorrow, I could say the well match. You ask me the next day, I could say Shingo again. Like, they're just uh, both incredible. The finish of the Zach shingo match is, like, so good. Yeah. All right, well, that wraps up our 2022 New Japan Cup coverage, and we know the next tour on deck is the Hyper Battle Tour So we do have a show coming up uh, next Monday, April 4th, in Corken Hall, which is essentially a road to show 
to build to the big hyper battle show happening April 9th in Sumo Hall. Uh, we'll run through these cards. We'll do a more in-depth uh, preview next week on these shows. Um, so on April 4th, Cork and Hall, we have Wato and Deguchi teaming up with Oiwa to take on Fale, ELP, and Taiji. We have Doki, Doki and Kanamaru taking on Bushi and Shingo. Tanahashi and Jado versus Chase and Gato. Despi and Taka versus Dick Togo and Sho. Hanare, Okan, Kav, and Osprey versus Goto, Yano, Yoshihashi, and Makabe. Semi-main event, Hiromu and Naito versus Evil and Udro. And then the main event, Dangerous Techers versus Okada and Toroyano. And then that takes us to the big hyper battle uh, sumo hall show happening on April 9th. And we have the full card for that main event Okada versus Saber for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Desperado defends the IWGP Junior title against Sho. Goto and Yoshihashi, Bishimon, they will defend the tag titles against United Empire's Great Okan, Jeff Cobb. Evil will defend the Never title against Hiromu Takahashi. Then we'll have a KOPW 2022 provisional. Trophy title match as Toriano defense against Taichi. Uh, Toriano's rules were a cherry blossom party match where the competitors would drink sake at two minute intervals, similar to the uh, Kanamaru match. And then Taichi's rules were a no rope ring out match, force your opponent out sumo style to win. So essentially a, a sumo style matchup. And it does seem like uh, Taichi's rules are winning right now. Uh, six or nine will defend the junior tag titles against ELP and Taiji. Naito and Chingo will take on Osprey and Aaron Hanare, and the show will open up with Jado and God teaming with Tanahashi to take on the Bullet Club team of Fale, Gato, Yudro, and Chase Owens. Um, and why did you do it? That bro asked thoughts on this stacked hyper battle card, or thoughts on how stacked the hyper battle card is. Do you think the junior tag or the KWB match should have been? on the Corkin show, or is having six title matches on a B-level show a good thing? This is a great thing. Um, I mean, this is how New Japan used to operate on the regular, and it's something we've complained about. You know, they've gotten too cute with it over the years and split really good shows into three, two, three, four, five nights, you know, where it's like, we'll give you three of these matches one night. And then three of these matches on another night. And it's like, dude, just do one show. Like, you know, um, so I'm, I'm excited that they're doing this. Now, I think it's the right time to do it because to be honest with you, I'm just being honest, Jeremy. This is not like looking at this. This isn't like my most anticipated like match lineup ever or anything like that. But then at the same time, I think back, when was the last time we had a full lineup like this that was all occurring in one night that was all like stories that are being paid like uh paid off with title match you know title implications it's been a very very long time so just from that one aspect alone it's pretty exciting but then again i'm looking at him like it's desperado show you know it's evil hiromu it's yano touchy i mean those are good matches but they're not like i'm not like expecting to have like you know like a dominion or wrestle kingdom level experience but this is how New Japan used to operate and how they should be operating on the regular. This should not be like an anomaly that like people are getting so worked up and excited about. And hopefully as things improve and continue on, we get more of this and this becomes like a regular institutionalized like practice, you know? Yeah, I was very happy to see that we we're getting one big show, 
with all these matchups and everything that's been built on this new Japan Cup tour, all kind of culminating here. Like you mentioned, yeah, you look at some of the matchups, and yeah, this is not like the greatest card from top to bottom, but I think there's a, a lot of gems on here, and I think it's going to be an overall good show. We we know Okada Sabre is going to be an excellent main event. I, I think Bishimon versus United Empire is going to be really good. You know, Hiromu seems to have the crack the code and having good matches with Evil. Um, I think that could be a fun title match, especially if Hiromu wins. Um, I, I think the sumo match of Taichi and Yano could be short and entertaining. Uh, six or nine versus ELP and Taiji uh, could be a lot of fun. Um, Naito and Jingo versus Osprey and Hanare uh, should be good. And then, you know, we've been seeing this continuation of the, the Bullet Club or, you know, GOD teaming with Tanahashi um, and then going against Bullet Club. That storyline's been really hot, so... Um, a lot of things working here. I mean, the only thing I'm really down on on this card would, is Desperado and Cho, which I'm sure is going to be uh, who can out-cheat the other uh, the most. And, I mean, it'll, it'll be what it is, but I think a lot of everything on the card is going to be really good. No, no, no. I, I don't mean to, like, shit-talk the card. It, it's a really good-looking card, but we've been so deprived of stuff like this that people are looking at it and they're, like, salivating. Like, it's not like, you know cube steak you know right. this, they're like this is a filet mignon i'm like it's it's really good cube steak you know i seasoned it well you know it's a flank steak it, it's gonna taste good you know provided they they season it right you know they get the right acidity in there but like this is not filet mignon this is not wrestle kingdom right right that, that being said this should be normal standard practice we shouldn't be like deprived for years from one night where we get this kind of lineup you know we've become accustomed to four matches on an eight match card full of multi-man preview matches that all belong on a cork and hall show. So no, I don't want to see any of these matches on the, the road to show. Let the road to show be a preview. Let this show be the show in sumo hall. So I'm excited for this. And I'm, you know, considering how good all the wrestlers in new Japan were, if lightning struck and they really were motivated and they really wanted to, could this turn out to be much higher like caliber level than what I'm saying it is absolutely like is there any reason Desperado and Show couldn't go out there and have like one of the best junior matches of the year if they really really wanted to absolutely they could will we get that I don't know I hope we do we'll see yeah uh Viking Pain asks if Hiromu challenging for their title soon will this be the beginning of Hiromu being moved into the heavyweight division I don't know if that's what's going to happen soon, but I think that this is them testing the waters for that potential. Then again, we saw Kushida challenge for the never title. It never led to anything. And, you know, uh, oftentimes guys are capped as far as not their frame, but their height. And Hiromu is not necessarily a tall guy. Then again, I found him be, to be pretty believable in the heavyweight ranks every time I've seen him go up against heavyweight. So I don't know if it was up to me. Sure. I, I would do it. I mean, I don't know how many more stories are left to tell at, at, at junior for him, but. Uh, yeah. I mean, if, if I were them, I, I would follow that, you know, Shingo Osprey playbook of, you know, having the junior guy go for the never title, win it, have a never title run. And then, yeah, start transitioning him into being a heavyweight. Cause like we mentioned, there's only so many times that you can have, you know, Hiromu win Super Juniors, go to Wrestle Kingdom, win the title, uh, eventually lose the title, face off against Despy, 
like they they've been telling. I think they've kind of reached the point of all the stories that you can really tell um, in Hiromu in the junior division, and I think kind of keeping him in the junior division, even though he is a star, I think at some point can be a hindrance to the division uh, because then it becomes just Hiromu and friends. And um, the division's built around one guy, and if he's not in it, then the division doesn't draw. Um, so I think moving him out of the division will help, you know, build up guys like Desperado and allow Desperado and other juniors to kind of carry that mantle, and then you can, um, you know, move Hiromu into the heavyweight division. Nice. Well, that's going to do it for our coverage of New Japan Cup. Thank you guys for your questions. Uh, Moving on very briefly, New Japan has announced that they have a Washington, D.C. debut show that is on the uh, upcoming horizon. Capital Collision is set for Saturday, May 14th. That's uh, one day before my birthday. You guys can send me gifts. And uh, (laughs) one day before the beginning of Best of the Super Juniors. Uh, with a major talent lineup that includes Kazushiko Okada, Hiroshi Tanahashi, plus AEW's John Moxley. The event is scheduled while the Best of the Super Juniors will be taking place in Japan, so the company's top heavyweight talent are available for the show in the U.S. While not explicitly stated, it appears that the event will be a pay-per-view rather than a strong taping. Ishii, Suzuki, Osprey, Jay White, Filthy Tom Waller have all been announced for the show. No, no, no matches have been announced as of yet. Tickets for the show um, at the Entertainment Sports Arena will go on sale Monday, April 4th at 12 p.m. Eastern. Ticket prices will range from $25 all the way up to $299. So the full announced lineup, we have Okada, Tanahashi, John Moxley, Jay White, Osprey, Suzuki, Ishii, Jeff Cobb, Tom Waller, and Fred Rosser. So, I mean, that's a, it's pretty awesome. And, I mean, you know, we've, we've heard some things about um, – you know, criticisms about the strong um, and just New Japan of America uh, business model in general. And I don't think that those are completely unfounded, but one of the, the added benefits of having tours in the States is that when you're doing something like Best of the Super Juniors and all those heavyweights can't compete, they do have availability to come over here and now they've got a place to kind of operate. Vice versa, I'm not going to be surprised if come August when they're running G1, if all the juniors are going to be working stateside, you know, and I think that that's something people haven't really thought about, but we're kind of seeing that here. Yeah. I was pretty excited about this. You know, new Japan, they did the kind of similar thing that they did when you see right, where they're kind of teasing out the city on social media, kind of getting some buzz for the announcement. So yeah, pretty cool here. Capital collision. Um, a lot of big names here. seems like we can get some uh, big singles matches potentially on this show. So um, yeah, looking forward to, uh, New Japan coming to uh, Washington, D.C. Do you think Chris Jericho and his wife will make their way out to D.C. for the show? Uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe. <laughs> well, wouldn't be the first time they were there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, this past uh, Saturday, we had the conclusion of the Rivals Tour. Uh, so the show opened up. We had uh, Daniel Garcia, Red Def, the uh, sports entertainer, Defeating Yuya Mora 10 minutes and 39 seconds. He's a sports entertainer and he beats up pro wrestlers. That's exactly what he did here. Yeah, this, uh, Garcia was stretching this man, Yumora, showing him how sports entertainers get it done and uh, was able to get this submission victory over the uh, LA Dojo excursion student here. 
That's one of the few things that's going to get over with me almost always is when soft dudes in wrestling say they beat people up. Like when Miz was like, I beat people up. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I just think that's so funny. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, you know, good seeing Garcia here getting a win. Definitely a guy I'm, I'm interested in seeing more on New Japan Strong, and we will be seeing more of him on Strong. Uh, second- I, thought, I thought this match was good. I think uh, maybe didn't quite live up to the hype. Uh, you know, people had really high standards for it, but, I mean, 10 minutes, I could have probably asked for more from these guys. They went out there had a really good match. Yeah. Then second matchup, we had the you know anticipated big singles match between uh, Black Tiger Eight, the the underground Black Tiger. Uh, he defeats Rocky Romero eleven minutes two seconds. Been building up to this uh, big singles match for a while now, but uh, Black Tiger Eight ends up picking up the win here. Yeah, he cheated. Got a cheap victory. The feud's continuing. We saw that on the most recent uh, tapings that took place here in Tampa just the other week, and uh, it didn't look like it's slowing down anytime soon. It's not a spoiler, but uh, you know, one thing is on the commentary they kept mentioning how Black Tiger seemed to know everything about Rocky, and you know, I'm not going to give the spoiler here. I think I've said I know who it is in the past. I've said the name, and you know, it doesn't take a, a rocket science to figure out the identity of this Black Tiger, but it seems that they're leading to an ultimate uh, revelation of who this black tiger actually is and what role he plays in the history of Rocky Romero. So I think that's where we're heading long-term with the story. Yeah. And this match was actually better than I thought it was going to be. I mean, I don't think, you know, black tiger eight has been looking great or anything in in his showings, but uh, I thought this match was pretty good. The crowd was pretty into it and Rocky was getting a a lot of uh, really good near falls and, Really wanted to see Rocky win, and then, like you mentioned, yeah, Black Tiger ends up cheating at the end and uh, hits the ends up hitting a Tiger driver and uh, beating Rocky. But I felt like they built up some good heat here, um, and I'm interested to see where this is going to go. Yeah, post match, even though Black Tiger cheated to win, Rocky got his comeuppance and put him in the uh, straight arm bar, and they had to uh, have security and referees and personnel separate them and kind of persevere or preserve <laughs> the. Uh, the arm health of Black Tiger. So, yeah. Then the big main event here, we had the 10 man tag elimination match with Team Filthy versus Team Rosser. Uh, Team Filthy ended up getting the victory here. So, obviously, Team Filthy, who had Dan Limelight, Jarrell Nelson, Jared Cradle, Schwartz, Isaac, and Filthy Tom Lawler. And Team Rosser was Adrian Quest, Clark Connors, Fred Rosser, Taylor Russ, and the DKC. Yeah, um, the match was good. Um, very, you know, enjoyable for a 16-minute, you know, uh, multi-man elimination. I think the most uh, exciting stuff was at the very, very tail end with uh, Adrian Quest kind of being the final survivor going up against Jared Kratos. Uh, Adrian Quest is kind of like one of the early uh, seminal characters within the strong mythos, and he's sort of kind of gone by the wayside in a certain sense has kind of become an afterthought uh and they kind of put a little bit more shine and and uh, attention on him here in this match which i thought was cool uh, ultimately obviously jared kratos got him out of there but you know the crowd was really behind adrian quest and it was smart because i think they were like near his hometown anyways yeah they're they're, they're in halls yeah they're in hollywood uh california and yeah it does seem like some of the west coast guys they don't really travel out as much as some of the other strong uh, things that happen like on the east coast 
Uh, I did. I was wondering what that was. That makes sense. Yeah. So you know, we don't see like day and limelight all the time, or some West Coast Wrecking Crew. A lot of these like West Coast guys, we don't always see them uh, when they're doing more of like the East Coast or maybe even, like Midwest uh, type of stuff. Um, and I, it, I have a question, and I don't know if you thought of this, but you just tell me if I'm off base here. Do you think that the Logan twins are members of House of Black on the low? Maybe. I mean, they, they've been gone uh, for a while now. They were, they were teaming with Brody. Maybe they're kind of, you know, being rebuilt and, you know, really studying the, you know, House of Black in, the, in their ways. Yeah, I won't be surprised with how much magic they have involved with that group. Maybe they need some twin magic. <laughs> uh, something I noticed about this matchup I thought was kind of interesting. You know, they, they're building to Connors being the next challenger, but this was labeled as Team Rosser versus uh, Team Filthy, not Team Connors versus Team Filthy. So that yeah, was... I noticed that too, and I thought that was interesting. Yeah, um, but um, Clark they did, did have a, a good pre-match, like, promo video for Clark Connors. Yeah, they did, and yeah, they've been doing a great job building this up, and Clark did um, eliminate Tom by also eliminating himself. He, he speared Tom uh, off the apron after both of them had went over the top, so both of them got eliminated there. And they brawl to the back, so adding some heat to uh, to that. Uh, and yeah, you know, good eliminations, like you mentioned. Uh, J.R. Kratos really being a monster here, eliminated Taylor Russ, and then eliminating uh, Adrian Quest uh, toward the end of the match. And uh, Team Filthy standing strong once again. So um, that concludes that episode. Next week, this coming Saturday, April the 5th, New Japan Strong will be airing at 8 p.m. Eastern. I'm sure a lot of people will be watching this Saturday, April the 5th at 8 p.m. There's no nothing else that could possibly uh, overshadow New Japan Strong this week at seven uh, at 8 p.m. on a Saturday night. I mean, uh, I, I can't think of anything. I can't think of a single show. So, um, you know, it's good that everyone's going to be tuning in for New Japan Strong this uh, coming weekend. <laughs> But no, in all seriousness, um, good lineup of matches here. This is from the tapings that we attended uh, just the previous week. But um, first match of the night, Team Filthy, Jared Kratos and Black Tiger. They'll be taking on the team of Chaos, Rocky Romero, and Wheeler Utah. Uh, wonder how long Wheeler Utah will remain. Do you think that if he leaves the best friends, he can still stay a member of Chaos just because? Um, I think he might be able to. Yeah, he could finesse that. Yeah, I don't see why not. Um, second match of the night, uh, the Mighty Don't Kneel, Jonah and Shane Haste. They take on the team of Finn Juice, Dave Finley and Juice Robinson. And then in the main event, strong openweight championship title will be defended as Tom Lawler defends his title against Clark Connor. So it's a good lineup. Yeah, uh, good start to the tour. Interesting, you know, they, these are kind of airing out of the order that we actually saw them in live. Uh, I, I've said in the past that I think that they air them in different orders than they actually take place. So this kind of confirms that. Yeah, but yeah, good. Um, this will be a good start for the tele- televised part of this tour. Uh, um, also this week, Jeremy will be traveling to WrestleMania weekend in Dallas. And we have a special NJPW Lone Star Shootout show on April the 2nd. That's... Uh, Friday at I believe 5 p.m. Is that Eastern or is that 5 p.m. Uh, Texas 5 p.m. Central Texas time. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Now there's um, some matches on the show that are going to be 
New Japan Strong exclusive that will not be airing on the Fight TV broadcast. And then there's some that will be probably dual cast, I assume. Maybe I'm wrong. But um, the New Japan Strong exclusive matches are Chris Bay and Hikaleo versus Bateman and Barrett Brown. T- uh, second match, Tom Lawler, Royce Isaacs, and J.R. Kratos. They'll take on uh, Fred Rosser, Alex Coughlin, and the DKC. And then Jonah versus Blake Christian. Now the matches that will that will be airing on the Fight TV lineup include Juice Robinson, Dave Finley, Daniel Garcia, and Kevin Knight as they team up against Escara Dorada, Carl Fredericks, Clark Connors, and Yuya Yumura. Next match, Rocky Romero will be taking on Renarita. Um, the next match after that, Tomohiro Ishii will take on Chris Dickinson, returning from his long layoff and injury. Um, semi-main event, we have Killer Cross making his NJPW debut against Minoru Suzuki. And then the main event, USFJ Open Challenge as Jay White takes on Speedball Mike Bailey. And uh, Jeremy, I mean, give us your thoughts. Talk to us about WrestleMania weekend. I mean, you're, you're you know, leaving on a jet plane, going off to uh, you know, Lone Star State. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty excited to uh, check out this show. I'm really pumped for Ishii. Versus Chris Dickinson uh, should be a lot of fun. If you are going to Dallas and need a ticket, uh, Floyd Johnson, he has two tickets that he is trying to sell because he's uh, going to go to the Ring of Honor show instead. Um, but I will be at the Lone Star Shootout and also will be at the Multiverse of Matches following the Lone Star Shootout. Um, so seeing Ishii wrestle twice in one night should uh, be a treat. Um, but yeah, I mean, this Lone Star shootout, looking forward to what they have here. Uh, I feel like Killer Cross and Suzuki could be uh, really good. Jay White and Speedball should be fun. Rocky and Narita, that should be great. Um, so really uh, good stuff here for New Japan. Also, it's not, you know, Madison Square Garden, <laughs> Mania Weekend, you know, level, uh, but still should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I was, I'm really torn because that uh, Impact show looks very good and has a lot of New Japan representation. And then obviously the New Japan show does as well. But like when I heard that there were going to be some matches that were like held off for strong, I was kind of confused by that decision. Also like confused about like, is that taking place? Like when, when did the doors open for you? Are you getting in at four? I'm guessing and watching those early matches. Is that what's happening? I don't, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I'm not sure the, the order and how they're taping this thing. Um, okay. I, I would assume, yeah, maybe you, you do a strong, those strong matches first and then you air the fight TV special and run those matches in that order and not have to worry about doing the special first and then being like, Oh, you know, stick around to watch Jonah versus Blake Christian. <laughs> what time does the impact show start? Starts at nine. Okay. Uh, so time. you're going to be like running up against the clock. You might even miss some of the early part of well, that. It's in the same impact. venue. Oh, it's okay. Like- so they can't go over time because they actually need enough buffer time to like, clean up and prep for the for the impact show right yeah so it's all this is a, both of these are wrestlecon shows happening in the same venue great um so yeah that's that'll be really easy for me um uh, for the for multiple ma- matches i'm excited to see again you know ishii versus uh, eddie edwards uh they're doing an ultimate x match i've never seen an ultimate x match live um so, that, so that should be pretty cool to uh see live um they're running yeah, back yeah. uh jay white and saban um so that show should be uh pretty fun you see you think they, they're going to be able to pull a fast one on Jeremy, but nah, they don't understand. Like, we're not noobs when it comes to, you know, WrestleMania weekend plans. We know where to go. We know where to be. 
how to maximize, you know, our viewing efforts and, uh, you know, hats off. I'm proud. I'm proud that you, uh, worked that out. Now I will say this, um, I am interested in both the, uh, new Japan and the impact show because of some of the matches you mentioned, but you know, at the same time, they're running head to head with the ROH show. And that's probably like the key indie show of the entire weekend. Yeah, so. it's very conflicting. Uh, <laughs> you know, when, when I jump ship with Floyd and JR and go to Ring of Honor, but I, you know, being, you know, one half of the ace of podcasts, <laughs> I will watch, you know, Lone Star Shootout. I will watch Ishii wrestle twice in one night. Um, I will see my first Ultimate X match live. So I know they're going to, our show is probably going to be really great, but I, I will catch that on the replay. Well, you know, I was looking at, um, you know, everything that's going on with WrestleMania weekend. And I mean, it's not still quite up to the level of what we're used to with a traditional WrestleMania weekend. But I mean, it's not, it's not what we got the last two years in Tampa. I'll tell you that much. So, I mean, um, some of the shows that looked Thursday, the shows that looked really interesting to me, Bloodsport, which uh, you're going to that show, right? Yes. And then the Mark Hitchcock super show, and you're going to that show as well. So yeah. yeah. Uh, and then Friday, the new Japan, the ring of honor, the impact shows, those are all kind of, you know, around the same time. I'm probably going to watch the ring of honor show and then cherry pick the impact show. And then, you know, I'm sure I'll get around to watching the new Japan show as it airs. Now, are they, is it a strong taping or is it just a pay-per-view? So I think the fight TV thing, I think that they're, it's kind of confusing, but it sounds like the fight TV thing is only going to be fight TV and the only strong taping matches are going to be, uh, because then, because they have a strong taping April 10th for the mutiny tour. That's fine. I mean, I'm still going to watch. I assume at some point this will go up on world. And if it doesn't, I'll watch it either way, you know? Yeah. Um, Are you going to spring break? At midnight that night or not? I'm not sure yet. That's going to be a, a game time decision. I was looking at that card and I was like, I don't know. That Of the two, like the spring break the first night doesn't really look that appealing to me. But the spring break at midnight, that you know, that's the real spring break experience. Right. Like, you might want to go to that one. Yeah, that, that might be uh, something I look into. And then the rest of the weekend... You know, um, on Saturday and Sunday, there's a bunch of indies, but it, it's all primarily Texas indies. None of the major, like, big shows. Yeah, uh, I think on Saturday, my game plans to check out. There's a USA versus the World that RussellCon is doing. I've been to one of those shows, and they're good. Yeah, um, there'll be some a lot of Lucha guys on that. and then So, so no NXT for you? No, I, I will not be going to uh, stand and deliver. Um, I thought about watching it. I don't really know that much about the brand, but every time I watch it, it sucks. So <laughs> I don't know. It's just so weird, bro. I mean, think about like, you know, in the years past, you and I, like we've been to those shows and like, we literally were like stand- on standby trying to get tickets, like literally like, ah, like it's so hard to get a ticket for, you know, for takeover. And like that one in the Barclay, we literally had to sit at the very, very tip top of the entire building just to, just to be in the building and go. And now like, they have so many tickets available for that show. It's not even funny. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and then, um, obviously, WrestleMania. So those are the shows that like kind of have my main interest, and it sounds like you're going to most of them. Are, are you going to any of the Lucha shows? AAA, uh, GCW Lucha show? I, I know there's a few. I'm not going to be able to make the AAA show because Bloodsport is going to end at 5.30 and AAA starts at 5. So probably not going to have time to make it over in time for that. Um I know there are a couple other Lucha shows that are happening, maybe depending on 
what's going on and how I can get around. I might go through some of those. I'm also interested in checking out uh, Thunder Rosa's promotion, Mission Pro. They're running Saturday afternoon. Uh, so I think I, I'm going to check I that out. I heard that show might be good. Yeah, so I might check that out. See uh, Thunder in action. But, I mean, the good news is, you know, you'll be going to the Impact of the New Japan show. I'll be watching the Ring of Honor show. So we'll kind of be covered on this podcast on all bases. And then I'm sure we can both cherry pick between the two of us what we think needs to be watched. There's so much There's so much New Japan representation across WrestleMania weekend this year. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um Ugh. And like I mentioned, um, they're also doing the the Mutiny Tour coming up um, on Sunday, April 10th. Uh, Another set of strong taping. So uh, we have the U.S. of J Open Challenge. Jay White facing off against Hikaleo. Uh, Chris Dickinson facing off Fred Narita in a a rematch. We'll have David Finley versus Blake Christian. We have a handicap match. Fred Rosser versus the West Coast Wrecking Crew. Uh, Black Tiger, J.R. Kratos, and Dane Limelight will take on Rocky Romero, Alex Coughlin, and Adrian Quest. Freddie A. High, Kevin Knight in the DKC versus Stray Dog Army of Bateman, Barrett Brown, Mysterioso. Tomohiro Ishii will be taking on Big Demo. Jeff Cobb in Aussie Open. Kyle Fletcher wow. and Mark Davis representing the United Empire. They will take on the My Don't Kneel, Jonah, Bad Dude Tito, and Shane Hayes. That's a, that's a, that's, I'm going to put a little star next to that match. That's going to be good. Yeah. Um, then Carl Fredericks and Clark Connors will take on the Factories, Nick Camaroto and Aaron Solo with QT Marshall. <laughs> That's uh, a Fale Dojo graduate, Aaron Solo, mind you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Fallen Angel, Christopher Daniels, will team with uh, Alex Zane to take on Bullet Club's Chris Bay and ELP. Uh, Brody King, Taylor Rusk, and Mascar Dorada will take on United Empire's Great Ocon, Aaron Hanara, and TJP. So we're getting full United Empire representation here. Um, and then Keita Murray will team with Yu Yu Amora to take on Kevin Blackwood and Lucas Riley. Nice. So uh, pretty stack lineup there for Mutiny. We have other breaking news. Uh, New Japan of America is finally officially launching their official fan club here in the United States. Team NJPW USA with an exclamation mark the official global fan club of new japan pro wrestling is here take your njpw fandom to the next level and sign up to team njpw usa to a great selection of fantastic benefits uh these include now to be a member you have to pay a one-time annual fee of 50 dollars i know what you're thinking why do they want my 50 dollars is this a grift well for your $50, what you'll be getting is a $30 Tokon Shop Global gift card. So you immediately save money on your next NJPW merch order. Aside from that, you also get fully translated wrestler diaries. You get access to the full thoughts of 16 different NJPW wrestlers tran- translated from Japanese and updated once a week. I believe this is something that's already available to NJPW fan club members in Japan, but we've never been able to get access to it unless you speak Japanese or unless you have a translator or something like that. So now that's going to become available to you. You get a membership card and a lanyard. So you can show your exclusive if you're marked like that. Uh, Exclusive members only merchandise that only you can get that other fans don't have access to. And you also get special gifts at shows. Share your membership card. You get a special gift at NJPW live events. And you also get members only lottery every month. Members are entered into a lottery to win a wrestler's autograph. 
So for less than $5 a month, fans from all over the world, not just in the United States, but non-Japanese fans can join the NJPW Wrestling International Fan Club, gain access to all these amazing benefits, help support NJPW's international expansion all at the same time. And we've already seen in the past, yes, the fan club in Japan gets these kind of benefits, but they also get extra things like uh, first run of like big shows. They usually have their own like uh, membership section and opportunities to get early access to tickets and things like that. They didn't make mention of that here, but I would not be surprised if in the future, like let's say hypothetically, remember they were going to run like Madison Square Garden. Let's say they come, they do a big building like that again. You remember, you probably will get first access to like premier seats at reduced cost that other people don't have access to. So, uh, and that's just my speculation, but we already see that in Japan. So I wouldn't be surprised if they do similar, similar things like that here as well. Right, yeah, you know, this has been a long time coming. There have been talks and rumors about uh, New Japan, you know, USA fan club for several years now, and now we're finally getting the official uh, fan club here, and this is pretty cool for, uh, you know, diehard New Japan fans, and, um, you know, for those people who really wave that New Japan banner, this will be a great thing, I think will help, uh, fan investment here in America. I haven't done it. I might. I probably will. Yeah, I have not done it yet. But I mean, I mean, I, I want, I want the diaries. I, I want the translations of what these guys are are writing on the day to day. So, are you? Do you read Aces High every week when it comes out? You know, but this is this is gonna be different. No, if you can't even read the free content that you're getting right now on NJPW1972.com, what makes you think you're going to read Yo's diary? Or Hanma's diary? Come on, bro. Who says it's going to be Yo? It's going to be Yo. It's always fucking Yo. Come on. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> next thing here, we're going to talk about uh, Lion's Roar. They had the big uh, finale episode this week with the you know conclusion of the series and kind of wrapping up the the intake. Yeah, so you know if you've noticed over the past few weeks, Jeremy's been lacking. He stopped putting Lions Roar on the rundown sheet. I've been watching it every week, and then I, I have all these incredible thoughts, and then Jeremy just fucking cuts me out, ices me out of my own show every single week. And it's because I'm putting in the work. He's not. I don't know what to tell you guys. I'm sorry about that. Let me just tell you, Jeremy skipped all the episodes he didn't watch and watched this final and was like, pretty good show. <laughs> you know, I, I really enjoyed Lion's Roar, but you know, those, those that you know, that ending stretch there, I just I just did not have time to squeeze them in. I mean, I send you the rundown every week. You could have added them on or tell me to put them on and you could have talked about them, but Girl, I don't be looking at the rundown before we start a show. <laughs> I say run it, let's go. Off the dome. Oh, barely man. look at this thing. Oh man, but yeah, I, I did. I did make sure to watch the finale uh, before we recorded here tonight, and you know, pretty emotional stuff. I mean, they wrapped up the intake and um, you know, kind of gave an update on where guys were going and whether they're, they're coming back to the dojo or not. A lot of guys who are stuck in quarantine uh, going home, but I think the really big highlight of this episode was towards the end where. Uh, Fale is talking to several students, letting them know that they got offered a young lion contract to go to the Noge Dojo. Um, and one of those guys was Michael Richards, who, uh, you know, appeared in the Young Lion Cup and 
uh, was kind of one of the key guys in this whole documentary series. You know, seven years he has been trying to get a young lion contract and really been grinding a uh, great body transformation. We know he told a story at the beginning of the season of how Rocky, um, you know, kind of laid into him about his uh, shape and his condition performance. and performance, how he was an embarrassment and, you know, shouldn't be in the new Japan ring. And that was all fueled the fire and guy got an in incredible shape, kept showing up to the intake, kept showing up to the dojo and, all that hard work uh, finally paid off, and uh, this guy's going to get to go back to the No Gay Dojo. Yeah, so they're bringing um, Michael Richards in as a young lion, which is very exciting. I saw a picture that he posted today, and it was like, holy fuck, this guy looks like, uh, you know, like Danny Birch or like Fabian Eichner or like Cesaro. I mean, he's shredded to the gills. So that's pretty exciting. I mean, I'm happy for him, and we talked about that when this show first started, and they kind of highlighted him, so that's really cool. There were a couple other guys that they said New Japan was offering one-year uh, contracts to. What does that entail? I don't really know. I think we're going to have to wait and see because that doesn't mean they're coming in as Lions. They have one-year contracts with New Japan. And that doesn't mean that they're wrestling you know, um, here in the States or even like in Japan. They're employed with New Japan in some capacity. And I, I don't know what that means. So... <laughs> Uh, if those guys ever pop up, we'll see. But uh, it, it is still exciting, um, you know, what they're doing with the Folly Doge over there. Uh, a couple things, Jeremy, that you missed over the past few episodes, I'll just give you a brief overview. Um, they started really getting into the heights of the pandemic in the, like, last two to three episodes and talking about all the government lockdowns and shutdowns and how that started interfering with what they were doing uh, with the intake and the three-month program and all that. And... Um, there was a point where they had a conundrum. They didn't do a good job spelling it out, but I kind of pieced it together. The, the conundrum was you can't have a gym operating, but you also can't have a certain number of people living in a home together. And they had so many people that they were like, well, we have to, we're either going to break one law or the other. The, either we separate and have one group live in the house, one group live in the gym, which is not allowed. Or, you know, what? Or if we're all in one place, then we're breaking the uh, quarantine mandates with the the limits of uh, people. So they're kind of they split into two camps where some of the guys went and stayed at the house, and then Fale and all the coaches and all the guys that were like really serious went and lived in the dojo. Yeah, I, th- I saw that episode. Okay, well, that kind of kind of continued on, but the issue, like, and I think that they dramatized a lot of this. The issue was that the guys at the house wanted screen time, so they asked, like, the camera crew to come and, like, tape them, and then Fala got pissed, and then he was threatening to kick them out and was wanting them to, like, give them their their jackets and everything like that. Why didn't they come, like, live in the dojo? And then some guys felt conflicted because, like, he's asked us to break the law, and he's like, well, you know, if you're asking you're, – you're, you have a – a problem with breaking the law but you have no problem asking cameramen to come here and risk their lives and yada yada you know what i mean yeah kind of dramatized whatever um a few things i'll say about the show and i'll just leave it at this um as far as like the production quality top notch as far as showing the grueling toughness of what it takes for just basic wrestling training on that level really compelling stuff and i thought that they did a, a great job capturing a lot of really good footage and everything like that. There were some things that didn't make sense though. The the show was not cohesive. 
you know, episode to episode. Uh, and I think it's because they had to splice so much raw footage together and try to make something out of nothing. That was difficult. At the end of the show, I understood what was happening. This was an intake that was supposed to last quote unquote three months, but they didn't do a good job even explaining how the, their camps operate and work from the get go. And that was, and I, it, it wasn't until like the last episode that I fully understood what the, what the like primary goal of the whole show was anyways. Um, I also didn't think they did a good enough job highlighting individuals. There were some episodes where some guys came off really well, but there were so many guys with so many generic names and just like, they just kind of all existed that like at the end of the show, when they were like doing the recap of like what happened to them post episode, I like didn't remember 90% of the guys, you know what I mean? So like there were a few guys I had real good investment in, but it's mainly just Michael Richards, honestly, and Fale. Like most of the guys were just a, a cast of people that just happened to be there. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Ultimately, so, it, it did feel like this was like the Michael Richards like redemption story, which was a, a big right. a big arc throughout the whole uh, series. I thought that they they're on to something, and they this was a great start to something that could really be a powerful show going forward if they want to continue with it. But I think that they should look at some other reality TV based shows like The Ultimate Fighter, maybe even just like regular uh, trash TV, you know, like 90 Day Fiance or Love Island. Those are shows that like they might not seem like they have a lot to do with this, but in terms of like just highlighting personalities and individuals and getting you invested in them, they do a better job of it than like this show did, or like The Challenge, you know, and I, you know, for instance. So I think that was kind of the one thing lacking. Last thing that didn't make sense. The pandemic started in like 2020. The early part of the show, it's supposed to be a three month period, but the early part of the show, these guys are like living their life going on and out and about and doing whatever the fuck. Right. Yeah. Then suddenly the pandemic hits and they got to split up. But then when they're in the middle of their pandemic, Fale's watching the, I quit match between Toriano and, and Chase Owens, which just happened last year. And that's not when the pandemic started. Like these timelines do not <laughs> add up at all. The math is you know not I mean? mathing. <laughs> this pandemic's been going on for like almost three years. How, how does a three month show last for three years? Something's not right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But other, other than that, I think they probably definitely took some sort of creative license on some level and, and, and all that, but. I liked the show. I liked what it was. I think that they just need to work out some kinks, but uh, ultimately it was, it was good. Yeah. It's really great show. Really uh, enjoyed from majority of what I was able to watch. And yeah, I would like to see them continue to do stuff like this. It'd be cool. Yeah. Do a series in the U S dojo and even the no gay dojo. It'd be cool to continue to do series like this uh, to highlight the dojo system. Yeah. um, So really good stuff there. Um, let's move on to the news. So a couple uh, big news items here. Um, this past week, there was a video with Will Ospreay that, did, that came out on social media. And Ospreay has announced that he has a protege coming to New Japan for the junior division as a member of the United Empire. And this video was really, really high quality, really well done. And it teased this incoming member, but it did not state who this new junior individual protege is. And there's a lot of discourse, a lot of uh, conjecture about who this individual is going to be. And I, 
it hasn't hit the airwaves on New Japan proper, but whenever they do their next show, whether it's um, like Hyper Battle, they got to air this. They have to because it's awesome. Yeah, this reminds me of what we we, we used to see uh, come Best Super Junior time. There's some new junior that's coming in. We, we saw at the ELP hype videos, and ELP came in. Um, Robbie Eagles came in. Like We would get like these hype videos for guys uh, coming into the, into the junior division right before Super Juniors. Uh, so it kind of felt like that time of, yeah, you know, old times of a new guy kind of coming in and get this big hype video. You know, Osprey's, you know, burning stuff up and, you know, saying he's going to burn, you know, the junior division to the ground. And since he left, you know, it's not been good and he's going to burn to the ground, rebuild it in his own image. He has a protege, you know, coming to, to take over and run the division. He's building his, you know, his kingdom, his empire. Um, yeah, pretty exciting stuff. So, yeah, hopefully they do air this uh, at Hyper Battle because, like you mentioned, great quality video and also it's going to be building to best of the super juniors uh, coming up in May. Yeah. So a um, couple questions from individuals, and this kind of circulates around the predominant rumor that most people are speculating on. Uh, Viking pain asked, who is big Billy's new junior ace? And do you buy into the Francesco Akira rumors? Uh, likewise, Hawaiian punch BVS thoughts on Francesco Akira potentially joining United empire. If he is joining NJPW, it gives them a young junior who's already been to Japan. How awkward is the joint All Japan Pro Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling show going to be, especially since All Japan Pro Wrestling invested in him and Tajiri, uh, Tajiri discovered him? Yeah, so like you mentioned, it does seem a lot of people have been rumoring that Francisco Akira is going to be is the mystery man in this video. Um, I mean, honestly, I don't have any other guesses of who it could be. Um, it, it makes sense as if he recently had a Japan visa um, and was in Japan recently. And so to get back into the country, it, it makes sense that it would be him. He did just have that match with uh, Gabriel Kidd a couple months ago in yep. Rev Pro. So that probably was a tryout match for him. And that match was awesome. Well, we, I think we both went four and a half stars on that. Um, yeah. And that was a great matchup. So that also he passed a tryout with flying colors there. Um, and, you know, like we talk about United Empire, they're kind of guys from different countries. So, you know, obviously Osprey is from the U.K. You have Cobb representing Guam. You have O'Connor representing Japan, Hanare representing um, New Zealand. And you have Aussie Open representing Australia. You have TJP representing the Philippines. And now if this is Francisco Akira, he's representing uh, Italy. Um, so, again, it's kind of that international building of the United Empire. Yeah, I mean, the one thing we do know is that hand that he handed the lighter to to burn up the entire uh, junior division, that was a white hand. Okay? Yes. Make no mistakes about it. So it's not going to be a member of us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not going to be Michael Oku. <laughs> it is someone, um, uh, well, someone fair-skinned. It could have, I don't know, that could have been, uh, you know, someone that's from Japan, like a, a domestic star, I don't know, but. It, it did look like someone that had uh, fair colored skin. So, you know, probably a white person. So pro I think Francesco Akira makes the most sense for all the reasons you mentioned. And I, I did kind of wonder if that uh, kid match was like a de facto tryout match, which I think it may have been. And I think he would fit really well into New Japan. Um, yeah, there could be some awkwardness, I guess, between New Japan and All Japan. But like, keep in mind, 
domestic stars typically don't switch because they come up in the dojo systems of their uh, institutions and training schools within Japan and they kind of stick there for life. But like um, gaijin wrestlers aren't really held to that same standard. We've seen so many historical gaijin wrestlers jump from company to company and they that's not that un, unheard of. So especially considering the business that All Japan's doing right now, and then the business New Japan's doing, and then the fact that he's wrestling in Rev Pro, and Rev Pro has a partnership with New Japan. I think all the pieces kind of fit there. So uh makes makes sense to me. I think it I think it probably is Francesco Akira. It could be someone else, but that's probably who it is. And I think if it is, that's a great thing for the junior division. Yeah, it just makes me feel like we are going to get two-block juniors if they're trying to bring in um, guys like him. And you know, we're seeing El- Lindemann being highlighted. As the- it feels like we're going to get two blocks. The only thing I ask is that they just space this shit out because, like, this New Japan Cup killed me. I'm trying to study for my licensing and, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Might need to call in a guest. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, WrestleCon meet and greets coming up Thursday. We have New Japan representation. So uh, Tomohiro Ishii is going to be uh, at WrestleCon from 5 to 6, Finn Juice from 6 to 7, Hikaleo from 7 to 8, and then Fred Rosser from 8 to 9. On Friday, Filthy Tom Lawler will be at WrestleCon 10 to 11 a.m., Carl Fredericks from 11 to 12, Jay White from 1 to 2, and Minoru Suzuki from 2 to 3 p.m. And then Saturday at WrestleCon TJP will be there at 9 a.m. Connors at 10, Rocky at 11, Coglin at 12, and then Narita and Yui Mora at 1 p.m. So I'm guessing there's probably like a New Japan booth. These guys will probably all, you know, circulate in and out of it as the time comes. And uh, yeah, if you want to meet your favorite uh, New Japan stars, they will be there at WrestleCon this coming week. Yeah, it'd be pretty cool. You know, 2018 New Orleans, I, I met uh, Suzuki and Ishii and Tanahashi. So, you know, if you haven't met any of these guys, especially the Japanese talent, it, it's pretty cool to, you know, I normally am not like a big meet and greet guy and photo op guy, but, you know, it's hard to pass up taking a pick with uh, Ishii and Suzuki and, and Tanahashi. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so just uh, some few other questions here, then we'll go to uh, recommended match of the week and close things out. Uh, so, friend of the show, Dan Coffin says, What are the chances we get Brian Danielson showing up at Windy City Riot in some capacity, like backing up Mox or whatever? I think that that's possible. Um, I don't know that it's 100% going to happen, but uh, I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibilities at all. So, I, that's something I'm kind of like keeping my fingers crossed for, especially like since Mox is sort of signed to the DC show too. Who knows? Yeah, and also we know Brian wants to wrestle New Japan uh, really badly. And so, yeah, I mean, you could have maybe Osprey maybe cheat to beat Mox and then Danielson comes out and maybe it's Osprey Danielson at DC. Who knows? Or maybe you do United Empire, you do like Osprey and Cobb versus Mox and Brian. I don't know. Like, there's a lot of potential there. Uh, Less Commission 7252, what signature and finishing move would you two choose to have? I don't know. Um, I've always had this idea. I would love to do like a fisherman's brain buster. And I've said this on the show before. Now, I'm not talking about a fisherman's suplex, like a fisherman buster the way that like, for instance, Yujiro does a version of that. I'm talking about you lift the dude straight up, right? And he's penciled up like 
literally in, in, like you're Davey Boy Smith Jr. holding the guy up for the prolonged period. And then you reach up and you pull down on the one leg. So it's kind of jackknifed, not in like, not to where the guy is like bending, you know, but where he's straight up and you're just, and then you're crunching him down with that one leg, almost like a muscle buster. And then you come straight down on that shit, like a muscle buster. That, that sounds super dangerous, but like that move sounds fucking awesome. And nobody's ever done it. And like that I know of, and I, I would like to be the guy to, Bust everyone's heads with that shit. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, you know, in my uh, backyard wrestling days, like my finish was one of the one things I always had a hard time really locking down. And I, I had a sub, my main sub, submission finisher was uh, Jurisdiction, which was the the Border City stretch that uh, Alex Shelley does. Also, the Gargano escape that Johnny Gargano does. Uh, that was my submission finish. But I, my impact finish, I always changed. I was never really satisfied with a an, an impact finish that I had. Um, but now I think about it, I know I've always really liked, um, like a Death Valley driver, but I feel like that move's kind of been so like diminished. Played out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know what I would use for an impact. Um, I, I mean, like if we're being honest, I, I have a finishing move. (laughs) I just can't unveil it to the world because I'm, I'm not there yet. I, I got a move and it's fucking awesome. And I know how to do it really well. So, <laughs> but uh, as far as like a signature in a hypothetical, like not talking about myself, but like the fictional version of myself that's much, much better at wrestling than I am. Um, yeah, I think my signature would be like some sort of like, probably like some sort of crazy like strike uh, combo, you know? Mm-hmm. Like a bunch of palm strikes, maybe like a back fist, knees head kick maybe a sweep like but all those things like like bah, 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 like something like that would be yeah, sick you know? a rapid fire combo yeah, yeah. But, or maybe even like something more measured like bah, 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 you know and like everyone knows what it is but like i'm just like ringing ringing them off not like not like aj styles or chase Owens where they do a boom, 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 you know yeah but more like measured like douche 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 and like you're fucking them up and they're like just covering up and just taking it. I would. Yeah. Yeah. That'd Maybe be some, Muay, some Muay Thai shit. I don't know. Uh, last question also asks, he says, I know it's too soon to ask, but do you think we'll see other wrestlers from different Japanese companies in best super junior, such as T-Hawk, L. Lindemann, and even Minoru Tanaka, if he's eligible? I think L. Lindemann and Minoru Tanaka are two guys that you could probably pencil down as potentials to be in this year's tournament just because they've already been in the company this year and they work for pretty small groups that don't pose any kind of like political threat to new japan if you see anybody come over i don't think it's going to be anybody this is just my opinion nobody from noah nobody from ddt nobody from all japan probably not anyone from big japan but that's possible but you know guys that are like on the freelance circuit Maybe like from, you know, I, I know I said Big Japan, but like maybe guys from Big Japan, maybe guys from like Tradition or Glade or, you know, stuff like that. That's possible. That's more like realistic. Yeah, I think for sure. I think Lindemann, I think is definitely a very high likely situation. Um, we saw Tanaka come in uh, during the Golden Series. So, yeah, if they're, you know, they're doing two blocks and you need to pull some names, I think he would be a cool guy to kind of bring him back to help celebrate uh, the 50th year anniversary in oh yeah the super juniors and, 
and nobody from Dragon Gate. That goes without saying. Yeah. Uh, Viking Payne asks, a non-NJPW-related but a big story in the wrestling world, Triple H has officially retired from wrestling after complications with his heart. What was your favorite Triple H match and moment, and where would you rank him in the all-time greats? It's a tough question. Um, For me, and I mean, I'm just going off the top of my head, I think my favorite match with him is the three stages of hell match with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm. from no way out 2001 although a lot of people don't like that he went over on austin which i get that matches that match might be low-key like the best wwe match of that decade and that's like one of their highest decades and people don't i don't think really recognize that match for for actually you know what i'm sorry uh, okay, I forgot. I'm always torn between that and then there is Cactus Jack versus Triple H from Hell in a Cell. No, not from No Way Out. From uh, from Royal Rumble, the Street Fight. Mm, yeah, I like the Street Fight better from 2000. Uh, those those are both so tough, man. I, those are like my two favorite Triple H matches. I have quite a few though. Yeah, I also I loved you know that the the O two rivalry with Shawn Michaels the summer you're gonna bring up the Shawn match <laughs> yeah this the SummerSlam uh, street fight I, I love that match and I love the uh, they had a, a three stages of hell match um, also at one point I like their TV match from New Year's Eve in two thousand three oh the, the match where, where Shawn uh, took a dusty finish like Shawn won but his, yeah. his he pinned himself that might be their best like straight up match that they had. Yeah. Um, as far as favorite Triple H moment, I don't know. I don't really think of Triple H as like a moment, uh, a guy that sticks out in my like fandom of moments like that. I, can you think of a moment? Uh, probably when he came back from uh, at, at the Royal Rumble. Yeah, he came back. And they're from... playing like you two, like it's a beautiful day. <laughs> and he's like. Argh. You know, and him and Stephanie, like all that shit. Like, yeah, that's probably it. He's like a baby face for like a month or whatever. <laughs> yeah, he was so hot, and then they killed him. Yeah, then he then he had to become a heel again. Um, he had a terrible rivalry with Jericho, and then he lost to Hulk Hogan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess we you know a lot of the the early DX stuff. You know, and invading WCW on the tank. That shit doesn't resonate with me. I don't know why. Uh, I do. I did like when he formed the new DX. Yeah. But even now, new DX only lasted for so long. Yeah. I mean, it was me, Austin. I don't know. <laughs> he he gave us NXT. I guess that's uh, I don't know if that's like a moment, but what about his racism mm. against Booker T? <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. I don't. I'm not a like, I'm not a big Triple H guy. As, as far as like all time greats, he's definitely top 100 of all time. Easily, he's easily in the top 100 wrestlers of all time. Yeah, maybe I, maybe, maybe top 75. Yeah, maybe. I, maybe. <laughs> I don't have Triple H. Uh, you know, cracking a top 10 or anything. Um, I mean, you know, good worker. Um, yeah, I mean. I don't know. I feel he he, he excelled in more plunder matches. Um, you know, Rich, Just say he's a death match Yeah, that de- de- death match wrestler, like Rich likes to call him. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
don't get me wrong, also he's been a part of several big matches and moments in WWE and all that is due to a part to politicking and who he ended up marrying, but uh, I mean, he definitely is going to have an impact and a legacy in the business. But as far as like when you compare him to everybody, even if even if you just narrowed it down just to WWF, like I don't if know. it was just WWF, he's a top like twenty five guy. For- <laughs> <laughs> I take he's not top seventy five. I got to take that back. He he could be top one hundred. I don't know. I, I'm not a big Triple H guy. There's just so many wrestlers that. He, he deserves all his flowers. There's no doubt about that. But there's just like, dude, there's so many great wrestlers that have ever existed. Triple H, this might be a hot take, but Triple H might be the most overrated guy that won the world title as many times as he did. Mm. I don't know if there's ever been anyone that won the world title in that like, you know, like he's like a 15-time champion or some shit like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't think he rates up there with, like, Ric Flair or Harley Race or, uh, you know, Luthez or <laughs> Vern Ganya or Okada or Brock Lesnar or John Cena or Bret Hart or Hulk Hogan or The Rock or any of those guys. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't. Yeah, he he, he was – his push was, like, way more over than he actually was. Yes. Yeah. But you know, but I'll turn on Triple H every now and again. I mean, there's it's got a lot of matches I like. Yeah, like Undertaker matches, matches with Randy Orton, matches with Cena. You know. Yeah. Uh, so last question here from uh, Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> good shit. Uh, last question here from Barry Walls is uh, something you said last week about Jeff Cobb and being the number two guy in a group got me thinking. Suzuki must be almost at that point in time. He gets ousted as a group leader. And, ha- and I have heard some people talk of Taichi Goon or Ibushi Goon, but would a Saber Goon work and be a sweet play on words? Or do you see, uh, or who do you see as taking over? Um, I, I don't know specifically. I mean, you know, this show has been going on for, years and years and years. And when we first started, this was a question we were getting on the regular from, uh, and I'm not saying this is you, but like, cause I think this is more plausible in 2022, but like in 2018, we had individuals on the show that were like, I know it's about to happen. Tai Chi's taken over or Zach is taken over. This is happening. And I'm like, they have not like even kind of hinted that this is happening. <laughs> this is wishful thinking on, on a certain segment of the fan base's part. But over the years, we've seen things like, just this past year, remember the G1 uh, when Tai Chi beat um, Suzuki, and that seemed like to be a really important kind of seminal moment. We've seen passing of the guard moments through the years with him and Zach and him and Tai Chi, and it, it's kind of become clear that they're probably viewed as, even though he's the head of the group, they're in, in terms of competitive singles competitors, they're probably ahead of him at this point just due to age and, and their slotment in the company. Um does that mean that I think that there's going to be a hostile takeover? Could be. That's that'd be in line with the history of the group, but not necessarily. Another thing that's in the history of the group is, you know, over a decade or more of loyalty to Suzuki amongst all these members and, and a un, you know, dying binding like uh, loyalty between the members. So could there be him uh, a thing where we see him sort of relinquish 
uh, his leadership and kind of appoint an heir apparent. I think that's on the way. I mean, we're already seeing him not walk out to his music in groups, but we're seeing them walk out to Tai Chi's music or walk out to Zach's music. Uh, in my honest opinion, I think Tai Chi is going to be the guy. Uh, I think they're slowly preparing Tai Chi and have been over the past like three or four years to be the guy to, in some roller capacity, sort of take over for Minoru Suzuki. So how it happens, I don't know. But um, I think I don't think Suzuki is too long for being the leader of his group, you know, at this point. Yeah, I think it'd probably be more likely to happen when he's like ready to retire or at least maybe leave New Japan uh, full-time. I think that they'll maybe make the shift there in to Tai Chi. More, I think Tai Chi is, yeah, I agree with you, is probably the more likely thing. But again, like you mentioned, you know, we started this show in November 2017, and since then people have asked us questions, people have made bold declarations that we're getting a Sabre goon, that we're getting a Tai Chi goon, and it just hasn't happened yet. Suzuki's still going. He's still out here making these dates and, you know, wrestling all kind of weird people, WrestleMania weekend and having matches. So I, I think once he – I think we're seeing a, a slow wind down Suzuki. I think when it comes to time where, like, yeah, he's not going to be a full-time New Japan guy anymore, I think then we'll see Tai Chi take over. Yeah. Uh, so last thing here uh, – Excursion slash recommended uh, match of the week, and uh, I do want to thank the you know so some people who have given their feedback. And the last week we kind of talked about uh, changing the format and doing an excursion match of the week. And uh, last week I picked uh, Jay White and Alex Shelley from Impact, and it does seem like a couple of people kind of like the way we have traditionally done recommended match of the week, where we kind of stick to more New Japan, you know, older classic matchups you know a lot of people recently getting in new japan they, they like when we go deeper and watch stuff they've never seen before or you know find those hidden gems on new japan world uh, so i think what we're going to do is i believe josh has a another excursion pick for this week then we're yeah. going to throw out a poll on twitter have you guys vote if you want us to move forward with doing excursion match of the week or with yeah because it prefers a stick of recommended match of the week. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, if you're at this point of the show, you're one of the diehards, so you know what the deal is. And I mean, just to kind of, we did have some people kind of like say, like, hey, maybe you stick with recommended match of the week and then sprinkle in uh, an excursion match here or there. And just to kind of explain, that's fine. I think we already kind of do that with recommended match of the week every once in a while. And we're talking very rarely. Will we throw in a, an outside New Japan match? Like one time, Jeremy did a Nagata match from WCW. I threw out uh, a Desperado match from a produce show, you know, it, when he wrestled in a death match. So we've done stuff like that. But um, the whole point of recommended match of the week is uh, me and Jeremy providing you folks as well as each other a match that maybe we're not as familiar with so we can kind of analyze it, watch it, and then spread the word. So people basically get exposed to more new Japan, especially like older stuff and, and watch great classic matches, which is awesome. At the same time, we have not had a lot of engagement from individuals about this. So, I mean, if you do enjoy it, let us know because we haven't over the whole time we've been doing it, like heard too many comments or even known if that's really been a benefit to anybody. On the flip side, the idea of excursion match 
just to kind of give you guys the, the, the rundown is like, there's so many matches occurring right now in the greater wrestling world outside of new Japan rings that involve new Japan stars. And we cover an excursion match of the year. And it's very hard to be watching the current product and those matches. And so we thought that it might be better for the audience listening at home. If we're able to say, Hey, go check out this Jay white match from AEW or, Hey, go check out this Ishii match from impact or this, TJP match that happened in CMLL because these are things that are a little bit more current that people are not watching and you know if we did go that way we're not going to interspect like we're not going to commingle it with the recommended matches because the whole idea is to basically work up our regiment of excursion matches so we have a good body of, of viewer of viewing for the year so that the awards are kind of served in that way and we can tell you guys hey, this match sucked, don't watch it. Hey, this match was very good, we recommend it. Or, hey, this is an all-time match of the year. It's probably going to get nominated. Go out of your way to see it. One of the detriments of that is we might end up, if we do excursion match, we might end up watching matches that are subpar, that aren't maybe necessarily classics, whereas like with recommended match, we're always probably going to be watching stuff that's very, very, very good. So um, we're going to do one more excursion match of the year um or excursion match uh recommend excursion match of the week this week and then we're gonna put out a poll and you guys let us know which of those two ideas sounds better to you do you want us to talk about outside matches that involve current new japan stars that are happening in real time to kind of expand your wrestling viewing and help us with the awards or would you rather us watch the classic stuff and give those recommendations so you can kind of uh broaden your deeper knowledge of new japan you tell us because that's kind of the conundrum but we're not going to do both because that kind of doesn't serve what we're trying to do in either regard if that makes sense yeah great explanation there um so uh what'd you think of uh jay white versus alex shelley i thought this was really good i'm you know what's funny is um i thought that i just i got this confused with the match that he had with uh eric young which i'd heard good but not great things about so when you recommended it that's kind of the expectation i didn't go to cage match i didn't read any reviews so i didn't have a high expectation of this match going into it and i was really blown away like this was one of the best uh excursion matches i've seen this year um very 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 good especially like with all the backstory between um you know, we talked about this in the past that like when Jay White was in Ring of Honor, he kind of served as a protege to the Motor City Machine Guns and kind of was under them. And so they, he was like a trainee of theirs and a young boy to them. And so, sort of that's where this uh, whole thing with him and Chris Abe and him and Alex Shelley is kind of stemming from. And I, they've even got a whole ongoing rivalry, not just in Strong, but also continuing on an impact. So uh, taking a look at Cage Match, I kind of saw how that's playing out. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But this match was very, very good. I mean, Alex Shelley is a guy who, who's had some really great matches this year, kind of gets uh, underrated, I think, a bit just because of the exposure. But um, there were, like, a lot of points at the tail end where I just thought Alex Shelley had uh, Jay White's number. But, you know, ultimately, Jay is the best counter uh, wrestler, like, out there, and he's able to catch guys with his finish from almost any position. 
kind of reminds me of DDP with the diamond cutter in a certain way. Mm. Sort of has that, like, it can come from out of nowhere. And considering the what the move itself is and the uh, mechanics of it, you wouldn't think he'd be able to do that. But very inventive and creative guy. And this crowd was really hot for this match. And they went out there and they they had a lot of time. Very athletic, very hard hitting, very, very good. Um, I don't know that I'm quite ready to say that this is for sure a gonna be a excursion recommended match of the year like i don't have this on the same level as say like tai chi doki or uh osprey michael oku but it's like a it's probably not far off from like francesco akira versus gabe kid it's probably like in that four and a quarter four and a half range so it's very 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 good and considering its impact um you know it's probably one of the best impact matches of the year uh already and you know what people in cage match probably have a higher opinion of this match than even I do. And I, I really liked it a lot. So uh, I thought this was a fantastic pick. And the good news is it's on new Japan world. So if you haven't seen it, it's a, it's available for wide viewing. It's right there. So, um, you know, I, I would definitely recommend that match. I liked it a lot. And I thought it was a great pick. Yeah. It's similar to, you know, I, I've always been a fan of Shelly and like, I didn't know what to expect from this matchup. Like I didn't know if it was going to be, you know, fine, you know, you know, impact match. But, yeah, this was a really good uh, matchup here. Like you mentioned, Shelly is so underrated. I think if he was on bigger platforms, he'd be getting more love. Um, but, yeah, they, they told a great story. It was hard-hitting, uh, snug. And, yeah, like you mentioned, Jay White catches Shelly at the end there. And we've got this whole machine gun uh, bullet club rivalry happening in impact right now, and it's good stuff. Awesome. So let me ask you this before I make – the uh this week's uh recommendation are you trying to watch something that i've already seen that i know is good that maybe you haven't seen and i want to get your opinion on it or do you want to watch something together that neither of us have seen that i don't know how good it is but it probably is very good uh i think preferably i'd want to watch something that we already know is is good okay then i'll make it easy for you uh my recommendation is from november 26th CMLL Super Viernes. Uh, this falls within our grading period, and it's TJP versus Volador Jr. I sent the uh, clip to you already. I can resend it, but um, it is available on YouTube as well as on New Japan World. But I don't. I recommend the YouTube version. The, the version on uh, New Japan World has uh, the Japanese commentary, and it's the picture in picture. It's not as good, but. Um, very easily accessible and uh, uh, one of a very, very, very good match. I, I highly recommend it and uh, kind of falls into that whole United Empire versus CMLL feud that was happening at the tail end of last year. Nice. Well, I'll definitely uh, check that out. Uh, I mean, I miss seeing a uh, Voldor in action in a new Japan ring. Hopefully that's a guy that I don't know stats of Mexican wrestlers being able to come over, but we'll love to see him and Dragon Lee back into juniors. But yeah, definitely check out this, uh, or TJP match. Cool. So we will um, review that match for next week, and then we will shoot out the poll sometime this week and get everybody's uh, take and opinion as to whether they want us to continue with this format or go back to recommend a match of the week. Yep. And or, or maybe we just scrap it all together. <laughs> Uh, well, that's going to wrap things up for us this week. Next week, we'll be back to review the Lone Star Shootout and preview Hyper Battle. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com 
slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media, on Twitter. The show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash social suplex. Also, you can find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we're at social suplex. On Reddit, I'm the pro black guy just keeping a strong style. You can email me, jeremy at social suplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences Podcast, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd and Austin. The AEW Match Guide Podcast, hosted by Sir Sam. And the Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style. The Ace of Podcasts. Itchy Bond. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.